Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And this episode is an extra special one for me because it's my brother and sister-in-law. It's Neil and Jesse Drysdale. And we talk about our experiences growing up as pastor's kids and share crazy funny stories, um, have a laugh about those, uh, maybe occasionally make an uh, insightful reflection upon those. Um, and I really hope you enjoy it. The audio isn't great on it. Um, I'm really sorry about that. Unfortunately, we only realized um, afterwards that it wasn't a great mix. My, my sister-in-law is quite clear, but my brother is harder to make out. If you do have access to YouTube, uh, you might prefer to watch this episode. That's always easier when the audio is not great um, to be able to watch the episode. Um, if you can power through and enjoy it, I really hope you enjoy it. It's a great conversation. I absolutely loved it myself. Um, if it's the audio is just not working for you and you're, you're struggling to make out some of the stuff, it's all good. Don't worry. You know, just let it go and uh, move on to uh, the next episode. There'll be another episode, as always, there's two episodes every week, another episode on Monday. So you won't have long to wait for another uh, fix. But uh, I hope you do enjoy the episode and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Are you guys excited? You know what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I think we're just here for a good I'm chat. Trying. Yeah. yeah. I'm so bad, sir. I'm just so bored with lockdown that any kind of talking is great. <laughs> like, <laughs> Any human interaction. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, yeah. Human interaction that isn't a three-year-old toddler that wants to play yes. Doc McStuffins 24-7. Other children's shows are available. <laughs> <laughs> is Doc McStuffins an actual thing? I thought you just like yeah. said it. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> That's like, I love like, you just see a boardroom and everyone's like, right, we need um, something what have we got? What profession? Uh, roulette wheel, and it just spins. It just lands on dock. And it's like, <laughs> all right, we needed some sort of like ethnicity implied. Spin it again. Uh, Mick. All right, cool. We've got something that's maybe Scottish, maybe Irish. Um, all right, spin it again. Stuffins. <laughs> Who the fuck put stuffins on the roulette wheel? <laughs> now we're stuck with Doc McStuffins. <laughs> can you, wait, can you guess from the name what the show's about? Um. I'm going to guess that it's um, a crazy alcoholic Irish doctor <laughs> who um, who uh, he's a tax. He's, he was a doctor, but he like he, because he's an alcoholic, he got fired. And now he's a taxidermist because it's the only kind of like operating he can do is like basically gutting out animals and stuffing them. I mean, yes. this is why Phil doesn't do children's shows, really. <laughs> but I would watch that. It's not explained to say yes, and that's what we want. That's what we let our children watch. Our children? Or, do we have more than one now? <laughs> one of them is stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh, that's so funny. <sighs> Good old I don't Doc think we can just reveal what Doc McStuffins about. We'll just leave it at that. No, I'm, I'm gonna like look it up on the Wikipedia. I'll call it that. This is what the podcast would be called. It'd just be like Neil and Jesse Drysdale, Doc McStuffins. <laughs> I love it. Oh, you guys doing good? You're all right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. so. We've yeah. we've came out of the Aberdeen mini okay. lockdown. We had um, which has been good. We're allowed to have people back inside our house and go shopping. Like when did that happen? Today, actually. Today's the first day. Really? No, today, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So um, that's pretty nice. It's kind of annoying going back into a kind of mini lockdown again. Yeah, but we're so. still in ours. Are you? For like four oh, weeks really? or something. Yeah. Oh. Manchester. Yeah. Whatever. So, 
That's okay. I sat inside a I sat inside a coffee shop today with Rachel, which was nice. Yeah. Do you drink much coffee? Yeah, yeah, she drank loads. It's a big coffee out of it. <laughs> makes sense. Just because watching all that doc mixed stuff in history. Really... <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Once you've, once you've watched a few of them, you're onto the hard stuff. <laughs> oh my God. She's like rocking up to Costa and she's like, give me the strongest stuff you've got. Yeah. <laughs> Three, so we're not giving you any alcohol, but like, here's a coffee. And she's like, whatever, she undoes her own like vodka. <laughs> she just pours in the whiskey. <laughs> Triple espresso, I mean, one part espresso, eight parts whiskey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it's been okay. I think we were saying like um, we've discovered how much more like introverted we are on a certain level through lockdown. Like if we didn't have a toddler, and lockdown could kind of go on indefinitely, mm. we're quite happy with each other's company and and yeah. books and TV and whatever other random hobbies we've kind of started picking up. Like it. I think the it's harder when you've got kids only because they aren't quite so happy with just chilling <laughs> like yeah. all time all day. You should have had me as a kid. There we go. Yeah, there I mean that go. depends. Well, some kids are different. Yeah, some kids are different. And Our ours... kid is very high energy. Um, I mean, it's kind quite of go 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 all day. Quite it's called a coffee, to be fair. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we should cut that out. <laughs> but yeah, like otherwise, like I think. Um, it's given us just like I don't know there's a pause in life and sometimes just that pause like it's always like okay after this bit it'll quiet down and it never does and then all of a sudden it does and it's like oh that stuff didn't really need that oh this actually cut that out and all these like societal things that are expected of you are no longer there and you're like actually I like not having all of these things I like picking what I want like I want to hang out with these people when we can, or I want to interact with yeah. these people. You're not in forced social situations that you kind of go along with because you've always had to. So it's kind of been nice on that level to just be like, I don't have to put myself in those societal situations, I guess. That's been nice. And just, it's like, a, I don't know, like, you knew you weren't loving those things, but now you have that opportunity to just really like go, okay, when we get back to normal or a sense of normality or whatever the new normal is going to look like, I'm actually going to make decisions consciously of what I want and don't want in my life. Yeah. So we're having a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you guys were like before, pandemic like the church was kind of a thing of like oh don't even know what the deal is where we're at like what's going on like have you felt like pandemic has been like a nice break because I I know I speak to loads of people that are like well this is kind of convenient because now I can just like not pretend to like church I just don't have to go (laughs) like have you done like zoom stuff or like have you just kind of gone I I think I listened to two sermons so it's difficult because you got a kid so they like most churches they've quickly decided to kind of catch up and you know and technology wise but they're not perfect so our church i think our church is quite small how's it like 100 people maybe which is you know for the uk it's, it's average i guess but um not necessarily technology effect. so when it came in they quickly got up in a zoom and tried to you know make the best it is but they do they think they do it every like sunday morning but having a kid with no children's church thing we're not going to listen to it anyway 
So I think I tried the one and then I gave up, but I wasn't overly fussed. I think me and Jesse have both been kind of, I think, honestly, for the last two years, we've been going to church and not listening in any way. So it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, we went out of like, ah, oh, we should go or like, because we've always done, we've grown up going to church, so we're going to go. Yeah. We're not getting anything out of it. The sermons are like, no disrespect to whoever's necessarily doing the sermons, but it's like. I think we're just in know. different space in our faith where like either morality sermons or it's a lot of sermons that we've kind of heard before and things that we're working yeah. through that we're maybe on a different level with or we're pulling apart and what they're preaching, we're kind of like, oh, this is something that I'm not really on board with now. Um, so that paired with the fact that you've got a toddler that is going to like a nursery that doesn't want a parent to not be with them or, you know, it's just a lot of things where like, we've just kind of been a bit disconnected. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that paired with like a deconstruction phase of our faith is I think maybe more for myself than for you. I just never really gave a shit. So for you, you're, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So nothing's overly changed as such, but you've definitely been more, I, I would say a, you've been deconstructing, I think I've been deconstructing all my life and I just don't care. Um, not, not, oh, that's not so true. But like, I'm kind of like, yeah, we have worship. I've always, I've never been the kind of person like, I don't know. You've always been more laid back. Yeah, I'm very laid back. It's just your so personality. Like, so even like, even when we were a kid, like we got taught like gays are bad or whatever, but I just was like, I just didn't believe it. I didn't necessarily. That was like lesson three in the Drysdale house, right? It was like, right, listen <laughs> up, goods. Lesson three, gays are bad. Okay. We'll pick up at lesson four next week. <laughs> I think like your, yeah. your experience as pastor's kid seems from knowing your mother, it was vastly, vastly different. Yeah. Because who yeah. your mom was like, yeah. she literally was this amazing person that was like, whatever, like just chill. Like, you know, it is just vastly different from my upbringing in church. Yeah. Like people would be like, your kids are being loud. And your mom was like, so <laughs> they're kids. Like <laughs> it was just very, very different. So I wonder if that like had a lot of bearing, your mom always gave you guys kind of the space to yeah. explore your Christianity. I think, yeah, I think she protected us a lot because she went through, she didn't want us to go through what she went through. I think when she was learning to be a Christian, she asked lots of questions and was turned down a lot. So I think when it came to us, she was like, I, you know. Yeah. And your mom also evolved through her faith too because like yeah. she read voraciously. She crazy about it. She was always looking for the next thing to read. They also like looking for like the next like speaker to listen to or whatever. She was mm. always like, I want to know more rather mm. than just be like, I've been taught this, that, and the other. I think I'll settle with that. She mm. was always like, what's next? I think you had a, you had a more of a normal, that's not a more <laughs> common uh, pastor kids upbringing of like, you know, I had the, don't, I had the like conservative the evangelical yeah. American upbringing, even though it wasn't in America for the most part. Yeah, which yeah. sounds crazy. So you had a lot more pressure. I think we probably had, I don't know, we just, the drivers just don't give a shit, really, generally speaking. So I think that helps where, like, so I don't know, that's just, we as kids didn't care what people thought, or or, or some of our parents as well, but you, I don't know, I feel like you care more. So, like, you had that pressure put on for your parents, so like, you have to do this, and you know, not necessarily on purpose, but that they, that, they push straight that push that onto you so you have a lot more 
um, I guess you felt that more. Well, we I guess there's like, a lot of things that go I don't know. That. I think we were quite rebellious yeah. as, a, as a family. As a family in general. Yeah. Although it's it's interesting. I, my memory's crap. You guys are not in a bad way. Um, like, no, no, no. And and like that's that's the thing. I don't remember. I remember like dad was always a bit more strict than mum. I always like remember like I don't know, like uh dad would like get really upset if we swore and swearing to him was like nothing, you know, like it was it, it, just whatever. You can say crap. I remember like, do you remember Neil? One time dad got us all gathered around the table, and dad'll probably listen to this because it's like all of us. So dad, you can laugh about this as well. Um, but like we're all sitting around the dining table, and like he's like, kids, you need to gather around, everyone sit down. I really need to talk to you about something very serious. And uh, and he was just like, guys, he's like, I got an email this morning. <laughs> and he's like, I have to apologize. I have to ask for your for your forgiveness. He says, because it turns out that the word crap comes from a man called Thomas Crapper who invented the toilet and it's not a swear word, which is funny because it was like, well, there's like circular emails. That, it's not even true. Anyway, it's, it's kind of funny, but he was just like, not true. Him, he would get really upset about the word crap. No, Thomas Crapper is not a real person. And it was like, uh, because, of that, because of that talk, maybe I have, maybe stuff has been pushed onto me that I didn't know. Uh, but like, you know, he, he was yeah. a little more strict with certain things and he's like chilled out so yeah. much over the years. Everyone chills out, right? When they grow up, well, not everyone, but, I think a lot of us start to chill out more. Whereas mum was always like, you know, she if you, she stubbed her toe in the next room, you'd probably hear her yell like, ah, fuck, or something like, she was like a bit more chill in different areas, or at least chose to care in different ways in different areas. Um, but like, I don't really remember what it, it's really weird. My memory is bad, but I don't remember like, when I talk to like PKs, you know, like talk to someone like you, Jesse, who's like grown up in like a, a evangelical Christian home where pastors, kids, or, you know, like, or Christian leaders, like it feels like there's like expectation. You guys, like you're the face of the family. Like people are looking at you and you represent the, the church, the Christianity, the pastors. If you're not doing well, it reflects poorly on us. I don't really ever really feel like I had that. Maybe I'm just like, maybe I forgot. Maybe I like, or I was just stupid enough that I didn't pick up on it. And I just was like, oh, nothing matters. Um, or maybe that was the case. Like maybe maybe it was a bit different for us. I, I don't really know. Um, I, what, what do you... Do you remember that kind of feeling at all, Neil? Like that uh, you, you probably represented to people in the family that to remember things, but um, yeah, my memory's terrible as well. But no, I don't. I never feel. I felt the only thing we felt pressured was when we were under sixteen. Was you had to go to church? Yeah, like there wasn't an option of not going to church. Um, but no, I don't feel there was any pressure to perform or to sit nicely or. Um, I don't think I don't think that was necessary. Yeah, again, I don't think that was necessarily to uh, annoy the people in the church. Like they weren't saying, yeah. "Oh, you, even they were just trying to protect us." Is what my thought was, but yeah, yeah. Because from what I hear you say, Jesse, and what I know, obviously as well, like that was more of a component to like what it was like growing up within. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know based on you know that verse in the new testament um about you know how you know persons in leaderships has to control their family mm -hmm. um and so not your children or your spouse being out of control rebellious whatever is a reflection on your ability to lead as a result of that your children always have to behave at least in public 
it's funny because um, I had a really long conversation with my sister today out of the blue um, about her faith walk. Um, and it was a really good conversation, but I shared this anecdote with her um, and she was like, I had no clue, but um, it, it'll always stick in my mind. But um, after a service one Sunday, we are always the last to leave church on a Sunday. Like everyone leaves church and we're still there. I don't know why, but like, so us kids are bored. We want to go home. We want to go have lunch. So I'm messing about at the front of church. My sister's there amongst other people. And to me, it was just another Sunday. My mom was so like angry at me as we left the church. And I was like, mm, like what's going on? And we get home and she pulls me into the room and she is angry. She is like proper upset. And she's like, I can't believe like you're, you know, hurting your sister in church on the front steps. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, like what is going on? Like, I have no, I'm like, mom, I don't know what you're talking about. And seemingly what transpired was that some lady in church saw my sister and I messing about and thought I was bullying my sister, went to find (laughs) my mother, relayed her interpretation of what the situation was and was like, I can't believe your oldest daughter, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's the oldest, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so we got home and it was straight away like your bad behavior and I'm like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. Um, so like that kind of stuck with me because it was very much of like, A, I'm the oldest of three siblings. So it was always very much, you're the oldest, you're responsible. Mm. B, we're the pastor's kids. We help, we, and we're involved, we behave, we don't rebel. There's a lot of expectations. Not vocalized necessarily by my parents, to that a certain extent, like um, it is a lot of unspoken, but it is also a lot of expectation that is put upon you by members of the church. So yeah. even if it's not your parents that are saying, we expect this, 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 and this, and essentially perfection from you, it is the church in itself yeah. that are looking at you. Why is your mm-hmm. kid sitting in the back row and not in the front? Why is your kid sitting on this side of the church and not this side of the church? Why is your kid not volunteering in this ministry? Why is your kid not here this evening? Like it, it's, it's just a reflection and it's a lot of pressure on parents too. Um, I, I should say that like, although I am dealing and working through a lot of like deconstruction of faith and church trauma, um, I think my parents did what they thought was best at the time. Um, they are loving of us and they, again, like they were in the church and they did what they were taught was best, the, the best yeah. way to raise your children. So I can't harbor any like resentment towards them for that. I think that that expectation was what they were taught or what they were kind of a situation they were put into. So, yeah, but it means that for us, it's a whole different thing for when it comes to Rachel, like mm. we, in raising our daughter, want something different for her. We want her to have that. More like what you guys have, probably. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right, though. It is, yeah, we're very much... But I think... I think everyone's a bit like that. Well, no, you had to go two ways. You either copy your parents or you, you do differently or whatever, so... Um, yeah. It's interesting how grassy people are in church. They're so quick to pick on, like... Yeah, like this woman felt the need to go and be like, you know what? Yeah, that's true. The Scottish term. What's the what's what's a non-word for grassing? Uh, 
stitching or yeah stitching yeah so yeah i mean we had that so much neil right like random like people in our church like going oh you, your kids are and it was always something that was like just like that's a thing oh i didn't really even know that was in the category you're not allowed to do yeah. like I mean, it was never like oh found your kids he's like running an orgy just behind the school sheds like it's like <laughs> no 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 it was like your kids uh is playing football in the back garden and he's kicking the ball against the church wall and it's like yeah, yeah it's a wall like that i didn't realize that the wall was sacred and i'm somehow spitting yeah. on the grave of jesus yeah. <laughs> yeah. i don't think i don't think i ever know it's probably me that was kicking the ball as well yeah i don't remember <laughs> that maybe that wasn't passed on to me maybe they told dad and uh, blamed you or something but yeah yeah it's weird though it's really weird <laughs> Like, you're not meant to put your feet up on the chairs and you know, this rubbish like that. Yeah. This weird, but most of my, like, weird Christian hang-ups that I've developed, like, I developed after coming out of the churches, like, that our dad was the pastor. So, my, like, I, it was only when I left those churches and started to join my own churches as, like, an adult or, like, late teens and stuff that I, like, started to adopt some, like, really crazy stuff. Um and maybe it was because I didn't really care as a kid. I think it was a thing of like your parents are just like, you're going to this church, you're under 16, get to the church, and then you just don't connect. But like, I don't remember our parents being like, um, trying to instill a lot of those things. Like, I don't ever remember like a big long talk about how you're only allowed to date Christians. Or I don't remember, I don't even remember, I don't even remember having a talk about like, no sex before marriage or anything like I, I remember one talk i don't know if you remember this uh, for yourself you but i remember one talk with my with either of our parents about sex like that's how like stand up they just didn't talk about that stuff really at all um, at least not with me and it was probably because i'm pretty sure like my, my dad caught me like having a wank or something at some <laughs> like jamie he's, he's obviously gone oh crap he's now an adult he's like looking at a picture of sarah michelle geller or whoever was like amazing at that time like for a teenage boy um and and like literally one day i'm like walking through the kitchen to go out the back door and go play with my friends or whatever and he's like phil he's like you know what sex is right <laughs> and i'm like yeah and he's like you know you should use a condom right and i'm like uh yeah okay and he's like good and that was the whole, that was our entire uh, sex talk. That is the most I've talked either of my parents. Yeah, exactly. Round of applause. Um, but like, I mean, you had, you had you a get... better talk. I think my dad, probably the same, probably so many of them aware or whatever, but like, <laughs> it just says like we were just like, constantly having <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> been like, oh my goodness. <laughs> we were, we were, that's why we all have glasses in the family. We're all blind from where um I think he, I remember him having a chat about homosexuality. It was like, if you ever come out the closet, I'll kick you back in. What were you, what were you wanking to? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, separate Sorry. considerations. But um, I'm glad you clarified. Um, no, you, McGregor. If I was going to go gay, I mean, we all would. Yeah. Um, um, that's interesting. So, like, because I think there was I an element. I don't remember what he said. I think he's like. Do you want to have a sex talk? And I was like, please, Dad, no, we've done this in school. <laughs> which is, yeah, which I think left it at that. But I feel kind of bad. He probably was like, this is my dad moment or whatever. I did the same when he offered to teach me how to shave. And I said, no, I've got this. I felt really bad going back in time thinking, oh, that was like his dad's son moment. And he's obviously never done this with Phil or Dave either. And I was like, oh, I'm still, <laughs> poor dad lost all his dad moments. So, wait, so just to back up there, so your dad's like, use a condom. 
So in your experience in church in general, what was like, because obviously I grew up with purity culture, like a major mm. thing. Was that your experience as well? Or... But I think like, so for me, when that happened, I reckon I was maybe like 14, maybe about 14, maybe 15. Um, so, you know, like for a lot of kids, he's leaving it quite late. Um, right? um, but, but for me, not at all, because I didn't even leave the house, never mind talk to girls. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what he's thinking. There was no chance of me having sex at any point with any human. Like the odds of me being able to talk anyone in this world into having sex with me was very slim at that point. <laughs> or ever um, <laughs> I, I um, pictures of that haircut so i mean <laughs> yeah, there was the, like the shaved head with the fringe it went straight up oh no i no. saw the triangle like the brushed out like oh. triangle hair that was that That's, was amazing. yeah I, I don't think i was quite rocking that by 14 um i hope um but there was this thing of like i guess our we grew up in like churches that were quite small didn't have a lot of teenagers and other kids mm -hmm. and so we didn't really have like youth group talks and things like that until we kind of moved and dad wasn't a pastor anymore he went and did his own kind of charity stuff and then we could pick what church we were a part of mom and dad picked a church with like a hundred youth and suddenly in that moment it was like oh there's youth group talks and youth group talks are like hey stop masturbating don't look at porn, never have sex ever, except for like, you know, the second you get married, you can have sex as much as you want and it's gonna be amazing, even though you've demonized it for 10 years straight. Um, you know, like th that that was kind of like my first introduction to that world. I, I feel like maybe, again, my memory might be um, very like sketchy, but I don't remember that being much of a culture, possibly because like, if like it was just our family, right? I mean, four kids and maybe a couple of our friends that we're getting together in church at that age bracket super awkward for like mom or dad who basically was probably whoever's going to teach the youth to be like all right kids get around we're going to talk about sex it's like well 80 percent of the like group is like your kids like i get it and, and given that they weren't they didn't seem to be as um uh keen or ready or equipped to have a uh, in-depth sex talk feel comfortable about talking about sex as we grew up and stuff like that like probably would have been really awkward for them to try and engage with that. And their churches were like all full of old people. They're probably not talking about sex because most of them have got it down. Um, I imagine, I hope, um, I don't know. It was just, it was a bit of a weird component because it did come in very late for me. And I guess it's just lucky that I was just so awkward that I never actually like, that hadn't even been a thing I could explore. It's something I wanted to explore, but never. And then, so it's only when, I started going to other churches and started doing my own thing and being around big youth groups and stuff. That was when I was like, Oh, that's a thing. You would never have sex with someone ever outside of marriage. Oh, that's a thing you would like, I don't know, like homosexuality is wrong. I guess I must've picked up on that on some level that homosexuality was wrong, but yeah, I don't remember like sermons I think, about, Oh, I think even when we were a kid, it was still very societally wrong as well. I don't remember many people in our schools like, around him being gay or, well, that's a nobody was gay. Everyone was closeted. I mean, right? there, was maybe, there maybe was a gay person, but you would, and like you'd have that expression, you know, that's so gay, isn't that so rubbish? Yeah, like, right. Like, so now I think we're living in a better society where we're a bit more understanding. I think we grew up thinking gay was bad because not just at church, but society. Societally, yeah, that's so, true. So it wasn't so weird. I think. Well, it's only as you grew up now as society has come along and the church has stayed still, but some people in the church have moved with society and they're like, 
why is the church not coming along with us or whatever? You know, like most things, you know, yeah. I don't know. Even like the little things like music, like come on, hurry up. <laughs> but you know, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a bit it's funny. I don't know. I, I think yeah, when we went to when we moved up to Aberdeen and we went to that church, I mean that was yeah. I mean there was other kids our age. We had to talk about purity and. There's always there was always some and girls separate yeah, every yeah. time. Every then, time. I always remember one of the youth events we went to, like a summer field event, um, what do you call it? Like a camp in summer camp or whatever. Right. Um, there was this guy, and he always had a guy talk, and like he tried to like, oh, is there any guys in here? And everyone went, and I was just like, okay, we're gonna talk about sex, and everyone, like, yeah, sex, and I'm like, yeah, and he's like, and he's like only if you're married to you. And it's like quiet. It was all like children. And you're like, what? It's so weird. He talked about like, I don't know, sex. And I'm like, and later on, I found that this guy was having an affair. Oh. Well, like during this talk about, you know, <laughs> sex only during marriage. Well, he was having sex during marriage. He was. It's yeah, not just true. with his wife. <laughs> it's honestly, yeah. Should it was just like, He's like, oh, a little. I did encounter in my teenage years that kind of purity thing, not to the. Well, you mean of... he didn't have purity rings? And... Well, no, we're not. Like, I think the UK is a bit. Just doesn't fly as much in the UK. You've never got the rings that came with the books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you probably had a lot worse as a woman, I imagine. Oh man, I kissed dating goodbye. Was like. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what that is. Cracking an egg. Or... I just bashed over our heads. So... Oh. That's a weird thing to me, though, Jessica, because like you, you were in like a weird culture anyway, right? Because you're in like, um, like this yeah. quasi American European combo over in Belgium, <laughs> and like oh. Europe, not known for its like frugal and, oh, yeah. and you know, like this this kind of like frigidness, like this puritanical, like that's not a European yeah. thing overly. So, and yet, yeah, how did that like play out? Funny anecdote. Uh, so. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church um, founded by, so obviously there's the Assemblies of God in the UK, but this was the <coughs> body of the Assemblies of God. So it's different. Um, and it was founded by American missionaries and most of the leadership um, board, et cetera, were um, American missionaries from the Assemblies of God. In fact, every single senior pastor that I know of was a senior pastor from the Assemblies of God in America. Um, and so it was like this really weird, like American transplant into um, basically the outskirts of Brussels. Um, and I remember this being an issue at one point where the Belgian government were trying to determine whether it was a cult. Because <laughs> 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 it wasn't a recognized denomination of Christianity. Wow. Um, there's more to that story, but yeah, um, it was an awkward, like, cool so I remember my dad being on the news and having to be like, well, no, we're not a cult. <laughs> Wait, you said that on the news. Well, not in literal terms, but like, essentially it was kind of like. He was on the television news. Yes. Oh, if we could ever find that clip, that'd be amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it was kind of a weird thing because I had grown up in this and the concept of us being a cult was like, what? <laughs> like, what? This is weird. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a weird American church trying to be international because we had a lot of people from a lot of different countries. Um, Brussels itself is really, really international. There's mm. the seat of the European Union. There's a NATO there as well. 
there's people from everywhere. So you had people from all over the world, even like there's a lot of universities in the area. So there's a lot of people there for studies, et cetera. So yeah, like I grew up around a lot of people from a lot of different countries, which was great, but it was really interesting that the core of the church was always American evangelicalism. Mm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so that had a definite bearing. So a lot of the like worship music was brought in from the States. Even like my dad led a French speaking service in the evening. A lot of the songs were translated into French um, rather than like French songs. French songs. Um, the French have never written any worship songs. Have they not? Godless. Godless a lot of them. Never, <laughs> never come up <laughs> with a song once. I was like, oh, really? But actually, you know, come to think of it, that's, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> one day one of them was like i've got an idea why don't we just translate all other songs into our language and we'll never have to write a song i mean those songs are weird though when you sing you know when you sing like a translated song well i, I have no idea what i'm singing but i'm like in germany or somewhere and they're like all right we're gonna sing a song and you're like okay and you kind of just like reading the words like kind of phonetically trying to sing along to tune and then you're halfway through and you're like oh i'm song. singing like <laughs> back to the heart of worship by matt redman in german <laughs> And it kind of works. Like, how does that, how do you translate? I mean, words are different, especially German. Like some words are like 10 minutes long. How did you manage to cram that in like syllables? Like, I mean, I mean I'm, it's, it's definitely amazing. not a word for word, literal translation. Uh, yeah. That's probably what it is. I wouldn't know. So there you go. Yeah. So like, yeah, it was kind of like interesting because I they I think they, their core was American evangelical, trying to kind of be more international but definitely coming back because a lot of the like um, materials for her children's church and Sunday school and even just like adult Bible studies and the youth group materials, it was all imported from the States. Wow. Now, to be fair at the time, the amount of stuff like that produced within Belgium or within Europe. Probably not so big. Not so much existing. So they made use of what they had. Also Mm -hmm. it's, provided by the Assemblies of God from the States a lot of times. So that's what's easier to, to come by. So I think that had a huge influence on what, what was taught within the church because it's mm. American evangelicalism. Mm. Um, even though Belgium is a little more like, well, Belgium is in itself, if you were going to say it's a Christian country, it's more Catholic, but there is a huge amount of, Mostly people would probably be like, I'm Catholic because their parents were Catholic because their grandparents sure. were Catholic, but they themselves are either agnostic or atheist. Um, there's not a huge amount of people that still practice Catholicism or Christianity in any form. Right. So that was always, they always said that missionaries would always say Europe is a difficult mission field because people don't feel the need for God. Right. Um, so as opposed to like other countries, but then that's also because there's a level of socialism within society that looks after people. So you, when you're not in as desperate situations. As right. Maybe, it's hard to have a saver complex when you go to countries that have healthcare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, we're good actually. Thanks. <laughs> free sanitation, free healthcare. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> but it, it is interesting because it, it, it was always a little more difficult to get locals involved in the church or even just come along to the church um i remember a family of missionaries saying like that one of the neighbors as they moved into 
the house that they were moving into had brought over a bottle of wine and like they couldn't drink like uh, they'd taken this vow of not drinking so they turned it down they're like oh sorry we can't take it we don't drink and their neighbors didn't speak to them again (laughs) (laughs) it's such a cultural thing about it but it's a cultural thing like like you just say things well i mean with our family you know age of 14 christmas dinner here you go have a glass of wine um and then like you legal drinking age of 16 um that was culture shock when i came to the uk because everyone all of a sudden was 18 and was like well we could drink and i was like dude i've been doing this for ages what's the deal <laughs> like <laughs> um yeah. yeah i have like a really weird mix of like belgian culture within me um because i'm half belgian and that's american culture within me um because i'm half american my, the church I went to was American. The school I went to was Belgian. So like, it's just oh, this yeah. very like weird mix. Um, and I guess like in some ways I would, I don't know if you ever heard the term third culture kid where like, I neither belong here nor there entirely. Yeah. Um, and then now I live in Scotland. So it's really like, where do I belong? Scotland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it was just a really interesting background to have Um, but it definitely was American evangelicalism that I grew up with um, because that's what the church was that we attended and then my dad passed I remember the first time I think we were dating were we married at that point maybe dating dating. and we went into the church and it was like welcome to the best church in the whole of Belgium and I was just sitting there like all right very humble of you guys (laughs) I'm going to slide into the background I'm here I'm from just your mom or your sister there as well? Just my mom. Um, and like we're trying to, and she's like, no, no, set up the front, you know, set up with all her friends. Or like, you don't even actually know anyone. It's all your mom's friends or whatever. And I was like, she's wanted to introduce me as the son. Of, she doesn't know me yet. She doesn't know how evil I am. But like, so look at this perfect boy. My daughter's what, her, but whatever. All right. So you go, you slouch down. You're like, all right, just, just get this over with. Um, and it's just like, it was just like, yeah, it was like, was that, I was was like that American foreign church. to you, like going to well, speaking to people? No, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> but like, was that um, was that foreign to you to be like in in that church of like that was it was very like although international with lots of people, it definitely was very American. No, we grew up at or the the, the first church we went to wasn't oh, yeah, like that. It was the that, yeah. International Baptist Church or whatever. So is it like a bigger version of that? But I remember. I remember the first one. So I'm trying to slouch down and hide. And then like, they do this welcome thing when they're like, is anyone yeah, new? And they have, not even church, but like, they have this microphone. I'm like slouching out even more. I, was, I do not want to like, I, I, and people wonder why the church numbers are dropping. This is exactly the reason why. Okay. <laughs> it's not me Your first time here, you have a microphone. But your, <laughs> no, mom, it's not like, run, your mom literally runs up, no, grabs the microphone, and she's You're like, she's like, Neil, <laughs> I found the second coming of Jesus, and he's going to marry Jesse. <laughs> No, not quite. No, like, oh, she stood gosh. up and took the mic and was like, I want to introduce you all. It was the most horrible blah, blah, thing ever. And introduced him in front of a church of 500 people. Yeah, and I'm trying to look at the exits. Like, maybe <laughs> like, this is, people are going to want to talk. Because your dad used to be the pastor of that church as well, and your mom is a big thing in that church. I was like, oh, gosh, people She's are now really going to talk yeah. to me. Um, I have to behave for the next, <laughs> you know. That is for you. That's how a pastor's kid feels. <laughs> Which is like so like 
like it's so nice when you can get into that person's head they're like i want this person to feel welcome because in their head this is the safest place nicest place it's all lovely people you'll love being here and you'll feel welcome and you'll feel accepted and you'll feel but like it, it, it isn't that for every person, right? Certainly introverts are just like, oh God, kill me, kill me, kill me now. I have 500 yeah. eyes on me. I mean, to be fair, not all introverts coverage. had someone with them that would be like, let me just point you to this <laughs> Right, person. no, exactly, yeah. It was usually based on the people who volunteered to stand up and say, hi, I'm new here. Exactly. Um, so like, yeah, it wasn't Even like- Even then, like, it's just a risky thing giving anyone a microphone, isn't it? Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, there were definitely instances of regret over the This was a long-standing <laughs> tradition, and there was definitely instances of maybe we should not have given this person the mic. <laughs> I remember one church I was a part of um, for a while, quite a while. Um, they had like um, fairly early on of me being there, they had this um, service where they would have people come up and share testimonies just over and over and over again. And one guy came up and he like, he just grabs the mic and he's like, I've had this revelation. I've been praying and fasting for months now. And, uh, and like, he looks like he'd been praying and fasting for months. He looks like not healthy at all. Um, you know, when you meet people that are like, you're like, well, you take this way too seriously and it's not doing you good. Yeah. And like, he was like on his feet and he's like, but I had this revelation. He's like, I am the second coming of Christ. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, and you could see the pastors just suddenly going, oh, fuck, we're doing this. <laughs> oh, how do we deal with this? Because like, he's right on the stage in front of like 500 people at the time. Because it's quite, a, it's a big church, but that was a small group because it was like a more informal kind of testimony mm-hmm. thing and worship. Is there and- a sermon series on how to fast properly after that? Because <laughs> I feel like that could. <laughs> well, like, this is crazy. So part of what they did at that church, they did this like outreach thing where you go into the poor areas and you go door to door and you just knock on doors and say, hey, is there any way I can help you? Do you want someone to, you know, take you shopping help you around the house like we just here to help and we genuinely were like we just want to help if people get saved that's fine but actually we just want to make people's lives better it was a really quite a beautiful thing but no joke i was doing this and i ended up knocking on this guy's door and he was like about a year and a half later and um he was like in full-blown therapy and was like he he had like psychosis he literally thought he was like the son of god Mm -hmm. and like he thought everyone was out to get him and and i think the church themselves were like paying for it and trying to help him but also had banned him from appearing in church he wasn't allowed to come to church anymore and things like Mm because obviously on some level you can't have this guy coming to church and going hi it's jesus here (laughs) you know everyone's like we love you jesus and he's like thank you i appreciate it that should be a tv show (laughs) (laughs) but like it was it was a really weird dynamic but like it is it's dangerous on some level i mean obviously you give the mic to most people and they're not going to do that but it's kind of funny how we don't really have contingencies for it do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there's not really a plan for what do we do when someone gets on the stage because like you could see everyone kind of going, uh, okay, we need to get the mic off this guy. We need to get him off the stage. We need to get him out of here. We need to stop him talking to too many people. Uh, and he's standing on the stage in front of 500 people. What do we even do? That, <laughs> is that not because people who generally take the mic or confident enough to take the mic in a church generally know <coughs> what the acceptable spiels? Sure, are. they've got the social kind of boundaries all kind of mapped like out. The- the probability of having someone in complete psychosis thinking they're the second coming of Christ are really slim to none. <laughs> gosh, I really wish I was in that room in that moment. Oh, gosh. Like, it, I, say, I, I mean, obviously, you want him to be well. He's obviously not well, but yeah. like, to witness that would be. Yeah. But I mean, but, uh, yeah, most people who would feel the confidence to go up and take a mic to share a testimony <laughs> generally know what the acceptable form yeah. of testimony is. Plus, 
joking aside, we now know what the church would do if Jesus showed up again and grabbed the mic and was like, hi guys, I'm back. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ditch him with a psychologist and battle for the church. Far, if you got that far into the if church. You got that far in. <laughs> oh, that was insane. But yeah, like it, it's a weird thing, right? Like the whole like yeah, just having all eyes on you in the church is like a intense thing. And I guess that growing up in the church on some level, you're aware of that as a kid. Like that's mm-hmm. a dad. I remember one time dad had like put on like this thing in the church. It was like an outreach to bring people in, and he was like, We're gonna have um I like it was like a Britain's Got Talent before Britain's Got Talent, um, and so it was like p- people in the church and and anyone in the street can come in and it's basically just a talent show. I guess that's what Britain's Got Talent is, right? It's like you could come in and you could like sing a song or you could do a dance or whatever, and anyone could come in and do it. It was like some kids came in from the school and like he'd put up flyers everywhere and stuff. And I remember like he came, he literally walked into my bedroom one night, which as we've learned is a dangerous thing to do. Dry still <laughs> teenage boys, um, and. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was like, Phil, get rid of Sarah Michelle Keller for now. What was that tab? Um, but, um, and he was like, Phil, he's like, we don't have enough people for the talent show. I'm going to need you to do something. And wait, I remember, wait, what did you do? <laughs> this is so bad. This is the worst, right? And like, literally, he's like, you, you got to do something. I'm like, Dad, do you even know your own son? I'm like, I, I, have, no I have no talent play. at all. I'm like the least talented human alive. in 30 minutes. No. <laughs> I'm like, I, yeah, exactly. Let's show you to... me beating this levels of Mario Kart. <laughs> like, I can play video games. I can like tinker with computers. Um, I can binge TV shows. That's about it. Um, I could have a really awkward conversation with a girl, maybe. I'm like, I do not have a lot of skills at 14 years old. And he was like, well, he's like, you, you play the keyboards. And the thing is, I had been getting like, maybe like a year of keyboard lessons one keyboard lesson a month um, and and I was practicing in between maybe like maybe once about an hour before my lesson you know like I was I was not into it at all I was like still on the first book you know <laughs> like which is like and I remember like he's like just play something on that and I'm like uh, uh what and I'm like I can barely play he's like just just you know get and I'm like so right we're gonna have me a kid get up on stage and like just play solo keyboards off of like the first type of book you would ever play. And I literally can remember it seared into me what song I did. Um, it was <laughs> it was the song um, Blowing in the Wind. I don't even know who did that. Was it like Bob Dylan or something like that? Or, um, and I'm like, and I could just literally play it and I like it would play it in like some sort of weird synth or something. Isn't it? No, no, no. Uh, how many roads can I... Oh yeah, yeah, that's down or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Um, so I'm like, I'm literally like, okay, well, so I practiced it like ten times, and I was like in tears. I remember crying because I didn't want to do it, but I was like, oh, I gotta do it. And so, um, I'm sure like Dad didn't realize how much I didn't want. It, or I don't know. Maybe Dad was just real full blown panicking, right? He's been on a talent show. He's got two people, <laughs> and like the whole the whole town is like coming to the talent show. It's his one moment to save everyone, and uh, and he's got no one showing up. So Ben, I think basically he had like three gigs going on. This is the three I remember. There was like three kids that were like um, young 11-year-old girls that were like dancing to the Spice Girls. So they just hit play and then did a dance to the Spice Girls, which was like probably terrible. I don't remember. Um, And then they had the treasurer and he came on with like a guitar 
and sang two songs. So he sings his first song. I don't know what it was. And the second song, he starts and he starts singing. And do you know what it is? Changes my fucking thing. song. My song. Oh, no. like, what are the odds of that? <laughs> of every song in the world, he sings a song that I've learned to play. And I'm like, oh, great. So I'm just like Wait, dying. Have you not been on yet? No. Oh, no. And then I get up and I've got to play awkwardly, really badly, just instrumental, the song that this guy just crushed on the guitar, singing with the voice of an angel. And I'm like, I've never felt like more of an idiot in my life. And I, I, I don't remember at all how it went or what happened, but I just remember like dying inside. And I'm like, that's the sort of shit that happens to you when you're the pastor's kid, right? When oh, yeah. You got, I, I got to bail out the pastor because he managed to get three gigs <laughs> and like there's 110 people but in wait this a building. Minute. Wait, do you mean to tell me that your dad did not give himself a stand-up gig of dad jokes? I mean, that was him just- He was the front man. He was the, front, he was the you know, he was the- That would have been like his I don't second know, the calling. Ant and of, he was the Anton Deco or whatever. Yeah. He was the, the host. Yeah, he, he, he loved that. Next up, we have a guy I found wank in the server. Joe Geller, come on up, Phil. <laughs> this guy's a big fan of Buffy and uh, also uh, blowing in the wind. Like 66% of our uh, people here tonight. Uh, in a minute, we're going to have the Spice Girls come back up and dance to blowing in the wind. I remember, so I remember the Spice Girls situation because it was, I think they were in my sister's year. So they were like two years oh, above God. me. And they dressed up, so they did like the Buffy, not Buffy, I've got it in my head now, um, Britney Spears like shirt tie thing, so the belly, so this oh, is in God. the church, and basically the entire <laughs> audience, the entire audience were old people, so nobody else turned up, I think, like none of the kids or anything, <laughs> I think it's just the regular old people from the church, and then they left, dad went to speak to them because they refused to come out, and so dad's like, oh, let's go check on them, and he came back, but he left his mic on, and he went to the back room and he was like, and they were all saying, like, I'm not going out in front of those old fogies. And they just like, <laughs> what else did they say? There's old people have never even heard of Britney Spears, blah, blah, blah. They're old. And then dad said, like, oh, just go and try. But like, so we were all sitting listening to this conversation as well. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, this stuff is like, you could write a good comedy sketch show about this oh, yeah. stuff for sure. Based on the lives of And this is just kids. the life of a pastor's <laughs> kids. How many times were you used? As a sermon illustration. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh this, week, this week we're talking about <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> so yesterday I walked into my son's bedroom. Oh, really? This is traumatic. You guys are talking about this a lot. Do you need to work through this? <laughs> no, we've done plenty of masturbation. I think I think my dad needs to walk through this really more than anyone. <laughs> Oh man, it's, it's, but that's the thing, is it? It's just like a normal thing for teenage boys. But like, as soon as you incorporate the Christian world, it's like, oh god, what's happening? <laughs> like, oh wait, on that subject though, because obviously, okay, you didn't necessarily grow up for the most part with purity culture, but you have encountered it from a guy's perspective. What is put upon you in purity culture? I'm just curious because obviously they do the whole split the boys and the girls yeah. girls who are teaching you guys this is what we're teaching you but you don't unless you specifically go and look to find out which you got plenty of other stuff being thrown at you you don't necessarily do and you're generally taught this is what it is take it that's it um so yeah i'm just curious what i'm sorry phil this is your podcast no no it's good i like this i like this this is good well neil why don't you tell me like when you like when we split up into girls and boys groups and it was like all right guys we're gonna talk about sex like what what do you remember from those kind of talks like in youth group um 
I don't really remember. Were you paying Very... attention? <laughs> <laughs> Neil was like in the bathrooms masturbating or something. Yeah, I was making out with the girl, so I never heard that. <laughs> um, I can't really remember. To be honest, like I remember being really awkward. It's usually somebody who was we were taught these things by other older people in the youth. Yeah. 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 Who I mean, they were basically the, like twenty-one or like seventeen we were, or whatever. Yeah, we were not following what you were preaching or whatever. Yeah. Well. Like, um, you're like no. Masturbation crimes, like yeah, you're seven. Church <laughs> <laughs> police are coming to arrest you. Yeah. Or a sin, I should say, yeah, not a crime. That would be amazing. And in news today, everyone between the ages of <laughs> 12 and 17 got arrested today. Um, like, yeah, but like I don't know, I can't remember. I remember like don't touch anything or you'll die. <laughs> Is that what it boils down to in your brain? Yeah, I don't know. God's always watching you. Like, oh, that's like terrifying, kind of isn't it? Pervert, yeah. That's um, a creepy thing, right? God sees all. I can't really remember. I mean, I was always the joker growing up anyway, so I just probably found it hilarious and joked through it. But I probably, I didn't back to it. I didn't think, oh, I need to, because I guess the group in it, you know, at that age, when you're, you know, a preteen or a teen, you just, someone reaches the, the Bible, you don't go, oh, look up the Greek. You know, you're just like, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, thanks for that. That's yeah. encouraging. Thanks for your opinion on it from your upbringing. From the 17 year old you are, you've obviously lived a, a vast life and you've, you know, <laughs> I, can, I can learn from your errors or whatever. But I mean, I imagine it's a lot, like, from what I hear, though, it's a lot easier for guys of, like, you know, just praying you've been forgiven because, you know, obviously, you, you know, it's hard because women are just sex, like, freaks. I mean, with their wearing, they're showing their belly buttons sometimes and their knees. Yeah, my two favorite body parts. I don't know, like, <laughs> really I've got like all kinds of pinups of like belly buttons and <laughs> knees as a teenager, just everywhere. Guys, don't come in! I'm looking at knees. <laughs> um, I, don't, I feel like probably. I mean, I don't know. I, I imagine girls had it a lot worse. You know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of your fault, isn't it? Like when you, I, yeah. Here. But I think like it, it's weird, like because I know like we, we've had people talk on on this. Um, I've had quite a few girls come on and talk about uh, and, and women talking about like how they were affected as young girls by that culture. But I do think there is like this knock-on effect on guys that is definitely not as um, sinister and as deep reaching but there's definitely a lot of shame and stuff that goes on because there is this thing where you're constantly told like i remember every time we broke up it was like basically the first thing they asked was like all right guys well um who who um who who felt this week who who sinned who like you know whatever i can't remember the exact wording but it was like you know it was basically they were going all right guys we're sitting in a circle of 10 young kids and like and it's like and the person that's leading is like maybe if they're lucky they're maybe like 22 23 but they're basically not much more than a kid themselves and they're like oh well basically asking okay kids who masturbated this week super awkward and inappropriate question right when you actually break it down from like a child safety like kind of approach like this is a pretty like messed up thing right um and so they're sitting there with like kids from probably and they would do it age specific so maybe it's like 14 through kind of 18 bracket they're maybe slightly older and they're basically saying who's who sinned who screwed up who disappointed god who thought about a, a sister in christ the wrong way or who watched something inappropriate or who looked at porn or whatever um and then we would like basically 
either tell the truth or lie because basically at least in all the youth groups i've ever been a part of all the guys were at some point screwing up because screwing up was such a low entry right so even if you just like looked at a girl you liked in youth group and like thought about oh god I like those knees um, <laughs> or whatever you're into. If you're one of those freaks that like likes boobs or something. Um, but, uh, you know, that was enough for you to be like, yeah, I screwed up. You know, I definitely screwed up this week. And then we, we would literally like, you know, like it was very shameful. It was very, um, and, 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 and the alternative was you to go, Oh no, I'm, I'm doing really well. Actually. It's been four weeks since I last looked at knees online and, and, and like, Oh, well done, Phil, you hang in there. You're one of the good guys. And, but it was so linked of like your worth and you're like, if you do well, you're great. And if you don't do well, you, you kind of screwed up. And like you're saying, Neil, yeah, there's a lot of like, Oh, well, you know, you're a lad, boys will be boys, you know, pray the prayer. You'll be fine. Like there was very much that kind of dynamic thrown in the mix, but you can't help, but just accumulate year in year out i mean day in day out a whole lot of shit like mm. you know just a lot of shame and guilt and all sorts of stuff that that you start associating with that. like the way you look at women in general as well if you're constantly feeling shame every time you think wow she's really pretty and thinking right. well me thinking you're pretty is that lustful and like you're a teenager your hormones are raging your body's going through so much change I mean, that's definitely going to have a knock-on effect as you become or move into adulthood and how you view women and the way you view women will then filter into how you treat women. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely Uh, a big I think it took me to about 24, 25 to realize that basically women were objects and sexual objects at that to me, like for the most part. Mm. And the church had done that to me just wow. by constantly hammering into me that any thought, any observation of, if I just even noticed a girl, like, I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm evil. I'm sinful. But what it was doing was teaching me that that's my nature. That's who I am. And I'm trying to fight that. And, and, mm-hmm. and what should have been happening is just teaching a healthy dynamic of like, well, of course you find people attractive, whatever your sexuality, you're going to find some people on this planet attractive, unless you kind of like completely asexual. Um, and, and, and that's normal. That's not evil. That's not bad. Now, if you then, you know, abduct them and rape them, okay, not good, right? If even if you've got like a lower tier, maybe you have sex with them before marriage, okay, well, that can be not good, right? But and so we have like all these like barriers of what we deem okay, and different people will have a different barrier. But the churches is so low that as a teenager, almost any thought you have of a female is going to on some level be filtered in. And it literally taught me to even look at women that I didn't find attractive and observe the first thing I would observe about a woman was like, Oh, you're not attractive. You know, mm. I wouldn't even notice like, Oh, you're a nice person or, you know, like, and mm. I, I'm just like that really screwed me up. It took, and it took, even after noticing it 24, 25 years old, took me a few years to of really intentionally working on that to kind of break that down. Um, and, it, and it was because I had some really close female friends that like that broke through for me, like that, 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 mm. um, that component but it's still probably in there somewhere i'm sure i, I objectify women on some levels and but i think there's no doubt it affects men i think i think we'd be really lying to ourselves to say this doesn't have a oh, yeah. oh it absolutely yeah, does yeah, i'm I, just curious i was just curious as to the way that you guys 
were presented with this purity culture. Um, and from what you're saying, it's just really interesting because it feels like they are reinforcing what they are trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So you're then automatically overanalyzing every encounter with the opposite sex, which happens all the time, day in and day out, which then makes your mind constantly on like, well, was that encounter appropriate? Was I lusting? And then you go straight to sex and the end, and it's just this vicious cycle that constantly, and like you said, it be, women become an object, but also then you're constantly thinking about sex. So they're like, well, at least for us girls, like, well, boys, they're more physical and they're obsessed with sex. And you're like, well, yeah, because you're just reinforcing it from what you're telling <laughs> yeah. me. So it's like, well, wait a minute. If, if we approach this differently, then there wouldn't necessarily be this need for constant pushing of this yeah. purity culture. Yeah. And it's weird to me as well that even that component that's so driven. I think the, the church is so obsessed with these kind of feminine masculine divides and we've somehow established masculinity is like we're just driven by sex we're just a penis with legs and an arm Um, (laughs) just one arm not two I don't know why I said arm Uh, with with arms and legs you know and then women are just there and they you know they don't really want to have sex that much but they'll just give you know that's their their duty as a wife or and the thing is that's so incorrect just technically from a very factual point of view in relationships across the world 40 percent of those relationships the female have a higher libido than the men so they want sex more than the men so yeah men want sex more often than women but not by that much it's almost 50 50 actually it's 60 40 you know that's not that different and so then what happens is then you get a whole and i deal with this a lot when i'm talking to people so i have loads of guys that message me who have come up in the church and in christianity and they feel like shit because they don't want to have sex as much as their wife and they're like, what's wrong with me am i evil am i screwed up or whatever and vice versa how many women feel like totally if you've been taught oh you're getting married to this person who's kept himself pure his whole like life for you or whatever and hopefully he's not looked at too many knees online and things like that but like on the whole he's, he's pure and, and then suddenly he gets to have sex with you and god he's gonna want to have sex non-stop and even the the women leaders are saying to you as you're growing up now listen you might not want to have sex as much as your husband but that's your duty you know you your bodies belong to each other all this kind of weird promoting rape inside marriages culture um all that stuff yeah. but that does something in your head when you then get married and you find out you actually want to have sex more than your husband and you go oh, am I not desirable? Does he not like me? Does he not care about me? And there's probably none of those things. It's just like, oh, he gets horny a little less often than me. Um, and so like, we're just not doing anyone favors because we're teaching such really incorrect and, um, and harmful stuff about sex in this weird need to try and make men more manly and women more womanly when we actually have no idea what the hell those things mean, apparently, um, it would seem. Um, and so it's just really interesting. So like from your perspective growing up, because I mean, you have quite a unique upbringing anyway, because I can't imagine Americans in Europe having to deal with the concept of sex, <laughs> nudity. I mean, like things like you, you oh, yeah. on, look on the TV in Europe and it's like <laughs> their shower gel commercials crack me up, right? Because it's like in Europe, it's like, oh, there's a naked woman or man just like scrubbing well usually if it's a woman boobs probably not men as much but you know scrubbing her boobs with shower gel and it's like ooh, buy radox shower gel and i'm like i'm watching a woman scrubbing her boobs with lathering them up and i'm like what's happening right now um because in the uk and america not gonna happen but they're like well 
why are we watching women in bikinis shower? Like, what? that's weirder, right? Um, <laughs> but I can't imagine American Christians coping well with that is my, I guess my point, or like how you instill like, well, did you look at any knees? There's knees everywhere on the TV. That's <laughs> pretty much like, so there's, um, I mean, there's multiple instances and I could reference anything with regards to like my teenage years, but the one particularly funny one was, um, the town that we lived in and that the church was in like you get like advertisement like posters all over the place or whatever like the kind that you get on bus stops and stuff right there's one time where one of the adverts and it must have been for soap but basically it was like a giant bowl and then it was like suds that made like the shape of like like a triangle or whatever and then it was like a woman's face sticking out and then her two boobs that was like <laughs> that was the advert what was it selling I think it was soap because I think some stuff like it was like studs or something and it probably had like a bottle of soap down in the corner or whatever but it was like her face and two boobs sticking out of the suds or whatever and that was that was the essential advert or whatever this guy's just like selling tvs but he like read an uh, like an entry-level marketing book that was like now step <laughs> one sex sells if you can <laughs> sexualize the advert and he's like all right close the book I'm selling a tv Bob watch <laughs> boobs <laughs> So, so I remember every time we would drive past it, my mom would be like, look the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, you guys have a kid, right? If you're like, oh, Rachel, look over there, look over there. Don't look to the left. Where's she looking? She's like, what the hell's on the left, yeah. right? I mean, but I imagine, I imagine other kids must have had very similar situations where it was like, I remember also um, we lived in a flat. And on the side of the building that we lived in was like a big advertisement board. And I remember once it was advert, an advert for um, pants. And it was literally like the bottom half of the torso and like the, the like pants and the legs. And the woman was on her side and this like thing. But that's all you could see. And I remember my, my parents being like, oh, this is on the side of our building. Like Your brother was sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like because we'd have to see you when we came drove up and parked and stuff it was just funny like it's just a woman wearing pants yeah just <laughs> God. Pants, like you couldn't even see like her boobs or her face or anything it was just no, the lower enough. half of her body lying sideways advertising and was there a knees and belly button because that is there the, was a belly button and some knees so maybe that it's was it christians it. were sorted well, like, it's just a really weird thing because, yeah, like, like you said, like, Gosh. Europe is really chill about that kind of thing. Mm. Like, um, especially like in France, like, I remember we had a, um, my dad did a lot of stuff with Students for Christ, which were university students. We went to the south of France for a conference and we went out for like a walk and some lady was down by the river, like sunbathing topless and that was like, oh my goodness, walk to the other side of the bridge so we can't see it type thing. But like, it, it's totally chill and normal. Nobody right. bats an eye. And so like, yeah, it's just this really weird, like, like a lot of people say, why, like, how come you have such an American accent for having lived in Europe for so long? And I have to put it down to the amount of time spent within American culture and around right. American people in church. All the Europeans were just running around naked and you were just like, I can't go outside. <laughs> we're all like, oh my goodness. Yeah. But yeah, like it's just, yeah, it's just really interesting because it was very much like American influenced, American culture very much influenced a lot of what was going on in that church. That's not yeah. to say that like people within the church had their 
cultures necessarily suppress. I can't speak for that because obviously like I, my experience is based on my culture and I have sure. a culture within me. Um, I would have to let someone else speak for that. And they did because it was based on like a church that was founded and run by missionaries. Um, a lot of whom had been abroad to other countries on other con continents as well. Um, they often like one year, they once a year, they would do like an international banquet where they would have people within the church bring food from their own countries. So you would get to taste lots of different tastes from lots of different areas of the world and stuff. So there was an element of like celebrating culture, but the underlining, because it was an American church, there is an <coughs> underlining American culture that is always present. So fascinating. Okay. That, yeah. that makes me think of, um, so when I, one of the first, no, nah, probably not one of the first times, but I'd been going to Europe for a little while and I was in Switzerland with um, our, two of my favorite people in the world, Walter and Nicole um, Ellis are such legends. They were missionaries there from South Africa. And South Africa is very Puritan as well. It's quite American, quite, uh, quite UK, like very, I mean, it, probably much more than the UK, actually. They're anti-drinking, um, you know, they're very like puritanical with sex and stuff like that as well. So they had like come out of that kind of culture. And um, one day we were talking about this kind of component of sex in the church and how weird it is and how much we focus on it. And um, what was like, have you been to a sauna on the continent? Have you, have you been? Like, yeah. And I was like, no. And he's like, he's like, it's crazy. He's like, just like everyone's naked. And I'm like, really? You were just naked with a bunch of dudes. And he's like, no, you're naked with a bunch of dudes and women. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, I know. And he's like, to be honest with you, he's like, it's an amazing experience. And I was like, now Neil knows me. I'm a bit of an exhibitionist anyway. There's a famous photo <laughs> of me sitting naked in his room. Yeah. Actually, awkwardly enough, I actually think watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with him. <laughs> More unlikely. It was the reason you stayed in that chair for quite a while. <laughs> uh, people are going to get ideas. Um, um, anyway, quickly moving on. But like you know, I, I was I was always pretty chill about being naked. About new, I, I'm not. I've I've never had too much of a hang up on that per se now I probably would get really awkward being naked around people that I didn't know or whatever um and I wasn't like I would like walk into like people's rooms in our house like going oh, I'm naked like, I didn't really think about it. but it just wasn't a big issue so I, I was like that could be kind of interesting and he's like you we should do it like so we we took a like a, we had a morning and afternoon off so we took like a big chunk and he's like we'll go to the sauna we'll like go to all these different rooms they're really cool it's great and it was an amazing experience but the whole time going into this experience I was like oh my god I'm like I'm going to be naked. Now I have no problem being naked at all, but I'm like, if there's any pretty girls in there, I'm going to have a massive erection. <laughs> I, I'm like, that's my first, my first thought is like, Oh my God, this is going to be the worst. Like how on earth? Like, cause I, but, but it's that Christian thing of like, I can't see a woman without objectifying her and, and seeing her as a lustful object and so on and so, so forth. And actually this is probably some of the really helpful work. It was actually really healing for me because it was quite early on in that process. I was probably about 27, 26. So it's probably around the time I've been aware of this for a few years and I was wanting to work on it. And I was like, let's do it. And I went, and I remember there were multiple women there that were beautiful. Um, there was plenty of people there that were not beautiful, like me, <laughs> right? I'm sure no one saw me and was like, oh no, I might get an erection, right? That, so that wasn't an issue. But there were other people that I'm like, wow, these people are beautiful. But it was such a weird thing. And I was just like, this is just not sexual at all. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's not a sexual thing. 
and I, I'm look and I'm aware they're beautiful. Like I can see a woman go, wow, she's really beautiful. And then that was it. You just moved on. You're in a sauna, you're in a steamer, you're going, you know, you're sitting, you're thinking, you're talking to your friends. Like it wasn't a thing. You know, I wasn't going, Oh, what if I look again? Or like, you know, that just wasn't. Um, and I was just like, God, like we have really screwed up that we can't like, there's a whole grouping of the world that can deal with this without an issue. And somehow we've created cultures where we cannot even see, you know, boobs on a, uh, a billboard or selling like suds or whatever, you know, it's something like suds selling. Um, yeah, it was really weird. Uh, I mean, it was a weird advert in itself. It was it just. Sounds like a weird advert. I'll give you. Um, but again, like why is a naked woman in an advert for shower gel weird like that's exactly what i'd expect if someone was showing me how shower gel works it's like the you know they they sell like razors and they're like let me show you a woman shaving her perfectly smooth leg and it's like you could have a hairy leg that would be actually a better demonstration it's like why have we got these weird needs to have everything look a certain way or be a certain way And, and i think that's it isn't it like the church does this thing of like we can't allow anyone to ever see anyone naked and then suddenly nudity becomes this really taboo thing where it didn't have to be. It's, like, it's, it's just weird. It's crazy. But then you get these, you get couples who then get married and then they have sex and they still feel dirty about it because they've been told yeah. their whole life, even though that it's in the church, they're doing okay now by church standards, they now feel dirty or wrong or they don't enjoy it or because you've been told for so long it's bad, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah. yeah. And you can't talk about what you like, what you don't like, because it's just yeah. so awkward, right? Yeah. And then I, I've had, um, you know, so if you're a guy, right, and you're growing up as a teenager and you're masturbating like 12 times a day or whatever, but you probably, once your testosterone levels drop and you start becoming a bit more normal, you probably don't masturbate as much, probably don't watch porn. <laughs> but a lot of them have got hang-ups, addictions to porn, all sorts of different stuff that have been developed because people have been so obsessed with these things. Um and because they're not given any room to explore their sexuality in any other ways. Um, so what happens is they've literally, every time they've orgasmed, multiple thousands of times probably at this point, by the time they get ma- married, every time they've had an orgasm, the immediate thought after they've orgasmed is, I'm terrible, I'm worthless, how stupid of me, God hates me, oh God, I'm going to have to try and like repent and work my way back close to God. And then we're supposed to not think like that the second they're married and so what happens is people that are married there's a whole bunch of guys that after they have sex after as soon as they like basically orgasm they like are there with their wife and they're supposed to be enjoying themselves and having a good time together and they're like sitting there thinking oh i feel guilt and i feel shame and it's like why am i feeling all this stuff and it's like well you spent 10 years ingraining that like that that response in you um it's really messed up it's just such a weird weird component um so Jesse, what was like when you guys split up into your female group, right? We were all talking about, well, kids, tell me how many times you masturbated this week, right? Really weird, inappropriate, kind of messed up conversation. Um, oh, can I tell you one story? So one time we decided, like, we'd always kind of brainstorm new ways to not masturbate, right? I mean, I, I don't know any <laughs> Christians that don't have new ideas and strategies and whatever. Like, it was crazy. Um, and this is in a culture that wasn't that fixated on it, as far as I knew, compared to some of the stories I've heard. But one of the things that happened once, I remember, we broke into like accountability partners. And so we had like, like another person, which is funny, right? Because you're like, okay, now there's two of you. Both of you are addicted to porn and you're supposed to stop each other watching porn. Um, and, and, but what's interesting is you had to like 
text each other every day and be like, are you good? Like, did you watch porn? Are you, how are you doing or whatever? Um, and it was, yeah, whatever, that might be helpful. That might be a prompt. It might keep people accountable, whatever it is, but it's just a weird motivator, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like big brothers watching or whatever. But one time, one of the strategies we implemented was if you masturbated, the next time the person saw you, they could punch you in the balls. Isn't that crazy? Wow. <laughs> like we got like abusive over it like it was insane anyway just remember that really random and crazy so story we did this sorry we did the same so, thing where they wanted to do that but they had an app and this must be like early what, they punch you in the balls so yeah punch you, oh, but like it was like you can install an app on your internet browser where your history got taken to your accountability person uh I think mine was, yeah, yeah. I think mine was Justin's, and like we were like sitting there going, "Yeah, that sounds great," and we both never installed it and never mentioned it to each other. <laughs> we were just like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good, accountable." I mean, Justin's like not on the way to. Might not be Justin. I think it was Justin. Um, um, not that anybody else outside of the three no, of us. No, <laughs> nobody does that. If he listens to this, maybe he, he'll he laugh. Happen. It might have been someone else. Um, but we were like, "Yeah, yeah, we can do that," and then we were just like, we just never talked to each other about it because we're like. You know if I'm what we're doing. <laughs> and we don't want the other person to know, like, okay, he really into his knees. Like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> or like, <laughs> okay. Like I, so I, I had a friend when I was at Bethel who was developing an app that basically did that. Basically, it, would, it was like a, a VPN, so virtual private network. And basically, all your internet would go through this server. And the server, when you typed something in, it would go through it and then go to Google or go to, like, whatever website and then come back. Um, and give you the website so that's like kind of a way better of, system than what they and, and, but so this if the server opted and was like oh you can't go on that man we know what you're like with knees or whatever right you way, can't go to knees.com in that voice that would totally <laughs> yeah. work for me oh what you doing there pal? <laughs> it just says it really loud and everyone in the coffee shop is like what's this guy looking at <laughs> so, uh, but like it it, it internally i've anthropomorphized this server it probably didn't think um <laughs> i've been watching too i've been started watching um channel four's humans i never watched it when it first came out it's so freaking oh, good. Heard it's good um yeah. you should watch it um so i'm anthropomorphizing machines i think um but anyway so it, it would go oh no that's a bad word. so you type in like pornhub.com or something it's like phil and so you, it wouldn't work. But say you were doing like a research project for a university on knees um, and you're a doctor, um, you kind of need to get to knees.com or whatever, or WebMD slash knees, <laughs> or I don't know. Um, please, no one go to any of these websites. This could be creepy. Um, I'm just going to call this episode knees. <laughs> um, and basically, but, that we've grown up a massive, we've literally just talked about masturbation the entire time. Yeah, we yeah that's true. Subject after. <laughs> um, so if dad does uh, this, he's gonna be questioning everything he ever did with us. He's like, "Oh man, there's knees somewhere." Never expected Phil, and then he did that episode like, with his brother. He's and his like, sister. "I thought they were playing computer games all day." <laughs> um, Sorry, Phil. So basically, the computer program, if it would say no, you don't get to do that. But like, say you were doing like a research project or something like that, you'd you'd have to get it to work. Obviously, you need to get to that website. So it was like it's fail safe, and you could basically say no, I really need to get to it. And so what would happen is it would <laughs> automatically message someone in your list. I think it would message like all three people in your list, and so they could approve it. So basically, email your your mom or your pastor or your best friend or whatever you had, and it would say Phil's trying to get to like. WebMD slash knees. Um, do you think that's okay? And like they would basically say yes or no. 
Um, and it was just like, like it's crazy. <laughs> it's like this great system in some ways. And I think like someone then went on and made that, and it like it's a big deal. There's there's a there's a an app that does this now, and it, it is, it's a subscription model, and Christians spend millions paying for this kind of thing, this accountability. I mean, I guess if you're like a sex addict that's trying to like recover. Could be really helpful. I mean, I guess, but like, yeah, I think there's there's way too much room for that to be. You could circumvent it, I'm sure. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a wild world of like everyone trying to keep each other accountable and you would like, but like, it's a weird dynamic, right? Because like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's so driven by fear. Anyway, again, stop. <laughs> Jesse, tell us what happened when we went to your... It was definitely not a how many of you guys sinned this week kind of vibe, Um, but very much focused on don't make men stumble or don't make Mm. boys stumble. Listen, girls, cover your knees. The dry stills are out there. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what what happened the first time we met? You saw my knees and thought, that's it. That's That's the one for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, it was very much an emphasis on what there. I mean, it it was more of like men are physical, women are emotional. So there was less of an emphasis on like obviously things like oh, porn's bad, don't masturbate, like things like that. Um, that was all you know, sex is bad until you're married type thing. Did you ever have like friends like confide in you? Oh, I, I've actually seen some porn or mass or, or I do. Yeah. Mass- was that a culture? Yeah. Like people talked about that though. In, oh, among like, the girls? I mean, yeah. Within, within the girls, like you would have, you would have that, that rebellious friend, you mm. know, the one that broke the rules. Right. Um, and you all secretly were like, I wish I had the freedom, but. Right. So uh, not that they were like de- terribly guilty about it. And they're like, well, I need help. Was, I'm addicted. Was, it was more like, see you guys. Like, there was the element of like, like, I don't know, like, there's, like, the forbidden, I guess. Like, mm. she has had the forbidden fruit. She seems fine, type thing. You know, like... <laughs> um, smited you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's not been hit by lightning or anything. Um, so, like, there... And, and then also, like, you're incredibly curious as well. So you've got that one friend that's all of a sudden being, like, you know, I, this, that, or the other. And you're like, whoa, okay. Um, so you want to know more in that respect. But I think the emphasis more with the girls was like, you know, you don't like, cause it, okay. So it was the, it was the early two thousands. Um, I finished high school in 2007. So that gives you an idea of like where my teens were. So like, let's talk about fashion, low rise jeans, belly shirts, which I guess they weren't quite the crop tops that we see today, yeah. but like, we're talking about like shorter shirts. Or <laughs> There's button happening, right? There is button there. There is definitely. Yeah. Um, and then like embellished pockets on the back of your jeans, which was a yeah. big thing because embellished pockets draw the boy's attention to your bum. And that causes them to think lustful thoughts Wait, and wow. they will therefore sin. What is an embellished pocket? Like with like stitching. Stitching. On <laughs> like tones, whatever yeah. was cool at the time. Mm. Words. Juicy. That was juicy couture. Was oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was sinful. That was um, a fashion sin for sure. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like, I remember leaving the house and my mom being like, can you just put your arms up? And I put my arms up and my belly showed like oh. that was not an okay t-shirt oh, wow. nice. to wear. Um, Someone just taught me the other day about the fingertip rule, which is like, if you have your arms straight down, 
your skirt has to be below you, where your fingertip is. Yeah. I was like, dang, that's crazy. Yeah, the, the yeah. circumvent sure, of- long your arms are. Really yeah. Arm. Yeah. Really... People with short arms were like- I mean, Christian <laughs> girls wore mini skirt and circumvented the purity thing by wearing those cropped leggings. Yeah. Right below the knee, because then you could wear your mini, but you were pro- you were like modest because you had the leggings. So like, you wanted to be with the trend of the oh, time. Yeah. You wanted to wear the trendy things. But there was a lot of rules around what you were allowed to wear because what you wore would cause a boy or a man. Did they shame you about why you wanted to wear those? Because I feel like those things were then hypersexualized. So it was like, oh, girls only wear that so they can lure in boys. So then was this thing of like, why do I want to wear those kind of things? Or was that like a thing? I don't remember that specifically. I just remember it being drummed in of like, don't wear this you can't wear that this that or the other and that with that came a sense of like I guess shame in and there was an element of if you did wear that you were looking for the wrong attention I guess mm. um you know mm. it it does have those connotations because you've been told that things are these things are immodest and immodesty is impurity and impurity is sin and therefore, if you are wearing these things and you want to wear these things, then you are obviously impure and sinning. So like there's there's unspoken connotations to that. But yeah, the I think the onus was definitely more on your responsibility is not to cause men to sin because you're not yeah. as physically sexual as a man is. You're more emotional and therefore you may not consider these things and you need to consider these things. It's your responsibility to consider these things, which is awful. Um, And that feeds into the whole, she was raped. Well, what was she wearing? Yeah. She was harassed. Well, what was she wearing? Well, she obviously was looking for it because she was wearing this. That feeds into that narrative that is still prevalent today because a whole generation and possibly more of people have been told that what a woman wears very she bears the responsibility for what happens to her because she caused yeah. a man to want her yeah. in an inappropriate way. I'm reading a book right now and uh, this woman was, and this is, it's, um, uh, what is it? It's uh, Linda K. Klein's book, Pure, which is really great. It's about sexual purity, culture kind of thing. And she interviewed, um, it's a very famous case in America, this woman who um, was basically um, raped by two football players um, and nothing really came of it. Um, because they're two football players and she was a girl. Um, but when she went home and, and finally felt strong enough and brave enough to tell her parents, her dad was a pastor. And the first thing her dad said was, what were you wearing? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, do you know? So it's just, it just highlights how ingrained that can be that even a, a father to his daughter is still going, well, really, if you were raped, you must have done something wrong. What, like, let's work through the, the, the things you could have done wrong before I will even think that these guys are at some fault, you know, like unbelievable. Um, and it just shows like, yeah, that like this, like, I can't even imagine what that does to you. Like when your own father and reading her, how that fucked her up. Right. I mean, that response was, she talks about that response being almost as bad as the actual, Oh, yeah, uh, the, the, the thing which I mean I, I can't conceptualize either you know component but um yeah anyway sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but it's just like it's it's not an uncommon thing I think it's really prevalent that we we put the responsibility of men's 
horrific action upon I mean, women. We do that culturally anyway at the best yeah. times, never mind this hypersexualized Christian culture. I mean, it's interesting because it's like you have a, a trend of women sharing the outfits that they wore when they were raped. And like one woman was wearing an oversized sweatshirt while she was running. Like the this idea of modesty, it's like, well, wait a minute, like what? what are we talking about here? Because it's, it's, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, what a woman is wearing. It doesn't because, you know, you have plenty of women that are wearing things that would technically by the church be considered modest. And yet these things are still happening to them. Yeah. So it's, it's a moot point. Yeah. Well, you look in the middle East and in like heavily Islamic countries where women are very covered up, you couldn't say they aren't being modest and rape is still a prevalent yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Obviously even less so a reported thing because a woman's uh, you know, witness to that isn't as valid as a man's witness and things, yeah. all sorts of terrible things involved there. But, yeah. The only way to really change that. And I think, I mean, we have a, we have a daughter. So like, this is obviously something that she's really young. I don't try and think about it too much, but it will be something that we'll have to have a conversation about one day. I don't want to put her through purity culture because that's traumatizing and it's not helpful, but she will need to be aware of the fact that she lives in a world with what we would call rape culture. Yeah. She'll need to be careful. She will need to know that, you know, those things those things happen and how does she protect herself from that um it's okay to be confident in yourself and yeah I do I would love for you to be able to wear what you want to wear and and express yourself how you want to express yourself but at the same time that's not the world that we live in and it's it's just yeah it's it's like constricting in some ways um but then if we had a son it would also be very important for us to emphasize respect yeah big one. just just really important um for us to emphasize respect and again purity culture would be far away from our minds in that situation yeah. as well because it's just as detrimental to boys as it is to girls yeah from my conversation with women i feel like women have experienced a lot more talks about how to avoid being raped the men ever experience a talk about how not to rape someone, right? I mean, I don't remember ever really being taught, hey, respect women, you don't just have sex with them if you want them. I don't remember anyone telling me that. Now, thankfully, it's not something I particularly uh, would do. Uh, somehow other values have sifted in where that's how I see women anyway. Like, even though I was very uh, hypersexualized and, and you taught to see women as quite ob- objects and stuff like that, it was still, I, I guess, my such a Christian background, you couldn't possibly have ever done that. Um, but then I don't know. I mean, like you look at all the stuff that's happening in the evangelical church and other movements in the church, and plenty of people do, right? I mean, you look at all these evangelical leaders that are falling because of their crazy, you know, manipulations and rapes and sexual abuses. And so, I mean, I think being in that system, we we often go, oh, that will protect you on some level, maybe to some degree. But I think on some level, you have to have a moral compass anyway. And people that are mm-hmm. egotistical, narcissistic kind of people will not be held back by that but yeah i I think in my experience i don't know many men that are just taught the fundamentals of that of like hey doesn't matter what a woman's wearing you are responsible for like getting consent you know engaging with someone as a human being like you know really basic stuff Mm -hmm. um, that i think is becoming 
certainly in the UK, I don't know about other places in the world, certainly I don't know about America or anything, but it's becoming more of a common thing in our sexual education and our, in our education system as a whole. We're, we're becoming a bit more um, progressive and a bit more healthy. I don't know if we can hope too much for a progressive sex education within America, um, hopefully, but who knows? Know, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a messy, messy world. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's interesting that that was kind of like um, a focus because it's just a it's just such a messy thing that either you're teaching young girls in their teens look, you're responsible for how men are looking at you. Men are sex crazed maniacs, and they're gonna be just unstoppable sexual sin if you are show your belly button when you lift your hands or you know what i mean it's just like what kind of like yeah i mean how did that how did that affect how you saw men did do you think it did affect how you saw men or do you think you kind of were like eh, whatever mom you know or whatever i don't know <laughs> well i definitely never had that kind of conversation with my parents mm. all very much like youth group stuff youth group stuff yeah um but <coughs> I would say like your, your impression of men is that they couldn't, they were, they were sexual beings and they couldn't necessarily control themselves mm. and they needed your assistance in that matter. Um, no, they don't need your assistance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the assistance in controlling themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, I, I guess like you're just, you learn to be a little more cautious perhaps. Mm. Um, but then also like, it's just really sucking. It, it teaches you to kind of be ashamed of your own body, especially yeah. for women or for girls who, who maybe are curvier or develop a lot faster because curves are make men stumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a, you just feel a bit more like, ashamed like it's funny because it's a contradiction to what you have around you so like you know you you're in your teens and your your body's changing and the world tells you like celebrate your curves you want to have the bigger boobs you want to have certain aspects of your body um but then on the other hand you you're being told that that's bad you need to hide it away you need to cover up and i've even had once where i was wearing um a t-shirt that was like like up here and then, but it was like, it's a t-shirt. It wasn't particularly loose. Again, naughties, everything was particularly tight. And I remember someone saying that that wasn't an appropriate t-shirt because it showed off my curves too much. I'm like, well, this is what I've got. What do you want me to do with it? (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me take it off. (laughs) But It's more like, this is my body. What do you, what do you want me to do? Um, And so you go, you go home and you think, "Mm no, maybe I was like made wrong because I was mm. boobs. like it, it's, it's very contra- like, it's very confusing. Yeah. That's the thing. And when you're in a world where women are being told they need to look a certain way, um, when men have someone told, well, the way you look is not okay. It's, it's just really confusing when you're going through all those changes as a teenager. And yeah. I, do wonder if a lot of girls who suffer from eating disorders or body dysmorphia, those issues are not compounded by what they're being told through these aspects of purity culture. It's really interesting, isn't it? And very, very sad. Um, 
it intrigues me as well because there's a component within like in christianity to be single is to be less than and, yeah. and like I, I shared some stats on that and like my instagram a week or two ago um where it was like they asked evangelicals um do you consider someone that is single to be inferior or less yeah to have less value than someone that is married um and they asked men group of men i don't know how many and they said like do you think someone that's single is less valuable than someone that's married and they were like yeah but 75 percent of them said yeah. yeah and you're like whoa um and then they asked woman do you think someone that's single is less valuable than um someone that's married and 97 percent said yes so it just shows in evangelical Christianity. So I don't know if all Christianity is the same, but in that world, certainly women are picking up a message that says, if you're single, you are less valuable than someone that's married. And that makes sense because women maybe aren't able to be as vocal. They aren't able to lead. Maybe once they're married, they have a little bit more freedom or whatever. But even the men are going, yeah, three, four men are going, yeah, single people are less valuable. That's what we are perceiving. And, and what's fascinating about that is when you look at the single people in church, for every one single male, there's two single, just punch my mic, there's two single um, women. And so what's fascinating about this dynamic is you are hammering into women, don't become something that men are drawn to you need to try and be less desirable less this less that now obviously just how you look isn't the only thing that, that men notice i'm not i'm not wanting to play into the christian idea that men are just running around looking for someone pretty but there's a component of like we're, we're teaching such contradictory messages do you know what i mean it's like this thing of like you need to be with someone well there's less men out there than possible so i need to like you know maybe get out there I need to put myself out there and try and find a guy because there's only so many guys and there's a lot more girls than guys. So it's kind of a dog eat dog world on some level, which no one tends to actually acknowledge, but that's kind of a true dynamic in the church um, that a lot of girls, especially once they get to 40 and they're still single, will kind of be like, yeah, it was a mess. Like it was really messy, that kind of thing. And yet we're also teaching girls, okay, well, like, you know, don't, don't wear makeup. Don't, you know, put yourself out there. Don't wear this type of clothing or that. Type of, don't flirt. Don't try and be sexy. Don't touch a guy, you know, playfully. Like all these things that like are just general kind of components of meeting someone and connecting with someone, seeing if there's some sort of, um, you know, spark. Um, and yet we're saying when we teach you not to do any of those things, uh, you're less than someone that has done those things and got married. It's such a conflicting kind of component. Um, I think we just really mess with women's heads. I mean, we mess with everyone's heads in, in this kind of culture, but. Um, well, if you look at the way the church is set up as well, it's geared mm -hmm. towards kids, teens, married couples, families. Mm -hmm. And single people tend to be like, oh, should probably do something for the single people. Yeah. Have a singles group <laughs> once a month. Yeah. You know, young adults, young professionals, whatever you want to call them. It's kind of like, oh, students also tend to be catered for like university mm -hmm. students. Yeah. Um, but then again, they usually tend to be like, you've just moved out of your teens, you're now a university student, you're probably gonna be getting married type thing. Um, and that in-between gap where they may have graduated from university, they're not married, they don't have kids. There's always like, you know, every single church I've been into in seems to have this like, what do we do with the single people? And it's like, there's still people. 
Yeah. They, they still, they still matter just because they're not married. And, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that because I shared your, um, your post on, on Instagram and like, I don't have a huge following. I don't have a lot of people that comment on my stuff. Um, but the amount of responses that I've, I had from friends to so be like, Oh, wow. Like, and these are women that some of them are still single now where this really resonated with them. Mm. It's an issue that, that was like, we did feel less valued. We did feel like we didn't matter as much when we were like, or we still don't feel like we matter as much in church because we're single. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. Like, I mean, even churches that are um, quite progressive or whatever the right word is that would allow women in leadership and a woman pastor or whatever, generally speaking, nine times out of 10, those women are going to be married to a guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and even then in that group, I would say nine times out of 10, the guy is somehow involved in leadership as well. I mean, it's very rare you're going to have a woman that's like the leader of a church and the guy's like, oh, I'm an accountant, right? Uh, the church I was a part of here in Manchester it was founded by actually um, a, a woman pastor and her husband was like, ah, I, I actually, I'm an accountant, I'm not interested in doing it. You know, he loved the church and was really passionate and involved, but he wasn't interested in doing kind of like a lot of that. And I was like, wow, that is rare, like really rare. Um, and so it's, it's doable and it's possible, but like, it's just not, likely now if she wasn't married at all would it happen you know like once you start peeling back these components of like oh a man who's alongside with you i know neil <clears throat> and and jess of course actually you were both uh, a part of the structure at the same time as i think i was um we were part of a movement uh a church that the movement as a whole only allows couples to serve as the leaders now it would probably allow a single male but the, the point is that they, they, they kind of want females involved, but then when they like get together for leaders meetings, it's just the men and things like that. You know, it's like, mm, this is kind of a weird, like, it's just, it's just so, we, we step around it and we tiptoe around it all the time as Christians. But at the end of the day, it's a man's playground. And as a woman, you are much less than a man. And then as a single woman, you're basically nothing. You're maybe on crash, but that's it. Like you just don't have a position in the vast majority of churches. Um, and like to be doing that, I mean, I talk to people that like, like, the, you know, they're like, oh, I'd love to help out and, and run some ministries and stuff. And oh, sorry, you're, you're a single woman. You're not covered. You're not whatever you are. And I'm like, these, these women are like, you know, have like doctorates in clinical psychology or, you know, they run businesses and things like that. And it's like, well, you know, you're just an emotional you woman. Or, you know, it's like they're 10 times more qualified than like the lead pastor or, you know, like, um, it's just such a weird thing. It's like single women have to have four times the amount of capabilities, accreditations, degrees or whatever to even get maybe a side glance for certain certain positions and even then a lot of times it's like oh but she doesn't have a husband that she submits to mm-hmm. i remember the church you're talking about we led it i don't think you're at the church at the time but we led a life group and i wasn't interested in actually leading the life group or preaching or teaching or whatever i like to welcome people in and say how you doing i'll meet up them during the week and be a friend or whatever but just as one is actually quite good at studying and saying something from the study or whatever um, but there's definitely a thing of like, I was the head of it, even though I was like in the background. Yeah. But to the leaders, I was the head. 
And I was like, okay, I'll just say I'm the head so Jesse can do her thing. Um, I remember at one point, Jesse said, one of the people who was there was with, uh, I think, I can't remember the next. So you basically said, we're talking on this passage, the main thing in this passage is this, but we don't want to talk about that. I want to lead us to something else or something. And then he just cut her off. This other gentleman in his 40s, 50s, a bit older than us or whatever, studying a PhD. So quite, like he knew what he's talking about, but he just, or whatever. So um, Jesse, like you got a bit upset with it, but then, so trying to, uh, I don't know, trying to like, I think Jesse like told him, like, I didn't like the fact you took over my meeting. And like every time I tried to keep it to my thing, you were trying, you were like, I told you we didn't want to do this, but you kept going in. Somewhat, not in a nice way, but you're like, can you let me lead or whatever? You're sure. trying to mind plan probably, or what's it called? Mansplain. Mansplain <laughs> or whatever. But I had to go speak to him and he wanted to speak to me about it. As the, I was like, the issue's not with me. I'm annoyed at you because the way you treat Jesse, but you need to speak to Jesse and sort this out because the issue's between you two. But there's that culture of, oh, I have to speak to husband and I can't speak to the wife because that's, yeah. That's wrong to speak to the woman. Let me speak to the owner. Essentially is what it is, isn't it? But like it this happens in other church things like, oh, I've got an issue with Barbara, but we can't I can't just go up and speak to Barbara. I better go speak to Sam because mm-hmm. Sam is, you know, it's just crazy. Well, if you and Barbara go into a room together, you might end up having sex or something That's anyway. It. She's gonna have like a crop top and knees and everything. Yeah, you know? get her knees out and then yeah. she'll mention Buffy and I'll be away. I'll be like <laughs> But like, yeah, it's just that church was just crazy, but yeah, yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting, like, I just didn't want to not that I wasn't at that time interested in yeah. learning, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not a preacher, yeah. I wanted to communicate, yeah, it wasn't but, like, what you wanted yeah. to do, it's not where your talents lie. And then I had to, they wanted me to lead the, the meeting sometimes, and I was like, I don't really want to do this, I feel pressured to do it, but because I, I don't think, did you ever get a go doing it? You probably wanted to do it though. At the time, but um, or like I didn't see a, a single woman lead a meeting. I think it's interesting. Especially not a single woman. I think it's interesting <laughs> yeah. as well because our marriage in itself. I'm the traditional housewife. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so quite like, literally, right? You stay at home no, with your daughter. Yeah. But when I married Jesse, I said, I don't want to marry somebody who's going to do what I just say. I want to marry somebody who's going to fight me and have her own decisions and have her own day and we come at this you kind of knew what you were getting as well <laughs> well yeah but that's what i was looking for in a way so i didn't want to you know yeah marry a child or like you know yeah it's just I a think, weird thing isn't it i think it's a weird concept like loads of guys in christian societies have that but it's a weird thing to be like i'm the boss i'm the like maybe your wife has opinions and like maybe she knows better about certain subjects and a lot of this like women submit to your husband's thing is like you're allowed to have an opinion but your husband makes the final decision mm. um which is control and, I mean, really yeah and like there's I, the thing is like i know successful marriages where the couple are very very happy together and the woman is happy to submit to the husband that's totally fine there's space for that there's room for that if that is a healthy relationship <laughs> and they're happy together more power right, who, who are you to judge someone else I, like, and i i can't we cannot claim to be the most knowledgeable people when it comes to marriage we've been married for eight years that's nothing compared to some people um however we're probably beating the 
average at church? What's the, what's the, what's the average for divorce? Maybe let's church? not go down that path. Um, no, I not that there's a competition, but, but. but I think for us, what works, like I, I have, I'm an opinionated person. I am like, and, it, and it's hard because you spend your whole life being told like rein that in. It's not yeah. delicate. It's not ladylike, but it's like the fact of the matter is I like to be informed and I like to have an opinion on especially things that affect me. Um, now what's worked out really nicely for us in our relationship is that we're both opinionated. We both can be very stubborn, but when it comes to important decisions to be made that really matter, we will work it out until we both come to an agreed mutual decision. Sure. Um, and we also knew going in to marriage, especially with kids potentially being on the table down the line, um, was that I'm have the higher income out of the two of us. Childcare is expensive. The likelihood was that he would be staying at home and I would be making the money. I would be the breadwinner. Um, so it's when people find that out, it's still really interesting to see people be like, hmm, that doesn't sound very submitting <laughs> because but the thing is even with it when I don't come home and go well I'm the breadwinner I make the decisions this is okay well we have made a decision together that it makes more sense for me to be working because our income is higher mm. but at the end of the day we're looking after our family unit yeah I'm out for myself he's not out for himself we're looking after our daughter like it just feels healthy for us. It feels healthy that we make these decisions together. And yeah, okay, we have arguments over things because sometimes we dig our heels in and we don't agree. Um, but we will eventually come to a mutual decision. But there's never a point in time where I've gone, right, well, you're the head of the household. You make you make the final decision. Yeah. You decide. Um, and like, you know, being in this church previously, we were never – well, we learned to not be vocal about that necessarily because we were like, I was vocal about it once um, in a ladies like book club type thing. And I got significant pushback. Um, like that's not the biblical way. And I was like, right. Okay. Not the right group to be addressing. This. <laughs> um, despite the fact that like, you know, okay, we were still young and we'd only been married like a few years. And I was like, I don't feel like we're like heading down the path of eventual divorce and destruction. But it's just really interesting that like, it was like, this is the way. Whereas for me, it's like what works for our marriage. Some yeah. people just aren't comfortable with that. Some women are like, look, you make the decisions. I don't care. Some men are like, okay, wife, make the decisions. I don't care. Like some people are just like that. There's a lot of different dynamics to, to marriage mm -hmm. and to relationships and to put people in boxes that they don't come, feel comfortable in. He doesn't like standing in front of a group of people and speaking, but I might feel more comfortable with that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that he needs to be forced into that box of going in front of a bunch of people and speaking. Yeah. It, it seems crazy. Yeah. How have you found that dynamic, Neil, like among kind of like Christian friends or, or within the church as well? Like obviously, Jesse talks about like in a book club, like kind of talking about some of the dynamics and everyone going like, oh, that's, that's not right. Like, how have you found kind of like your friends within or not even maybe friends, just people in the church or, or whatever? Like, how have they responded to you? Oh, you're a stay at home dad. Oh, you quit your job and she's making the money or, you know, that kind of dynamic is, is that 
because I imagine in the UK, uh, I feel like Europe is, is definitely, generally speaking, more progressive than somewhere like America mm -hmm. anyway. So like there's probably less of a resistance to it than a lot of people would face in America. And even in America, I think maybe it's becoming a bit more accepted, maybe. Um, but once you go into the church, it's, there's definitely more people that are a bit like weirded out by it. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't know. People have not necessarily said something to my face, but I, you, you, I'm sure there's, you know, people talk about it. But I think, I think a lot of the older guys who are a bit more are probably like, oh, that's great. I missed a lot of time with my kids growing up because of work. Or mm. so there's kind of a bit of envy, um, but mostly it's a bit like, yeah, it's weird. Like your job is to provide for your family, and they don't understand that this is actually providing. So I could I could earn, you know, a job making I don't know like sixteen k a year, uh, and Jesse can stay at home, or Jesse can make, you know, much more than that. I won't say how much to <laughs> make or whatever, but like sixteen and a half. Yeah, <laughs> like six digit income. No, like you know more than what I could make or whatever. Um, I mean your will, right, logical, guys? It just makes logical sense to you know financially get yourself a bit happy, and she likes she likes working. Yeah. I don't, I've never really particularly liked working. I've done artistically jobs. I was a chef. I was a photographer, you know. You still are. I, well, I still do photography, yeah, but I'm, I'm not the kind of person that, God, oh, I'm going to do nine to five today and I find lots of joy out of it. I, even in school, I, I, you know, I enjoyed things from school, but I didn't enjoy school, you know. I enjoyed the social aspect. I enjoyed, you know. Stapling your tongue. PE, yeah. art, yeah, it is, whatever. So, but, um, yeah, I think some of you find it weird. Uh, I don't know. I think as well. I think, it's just... not, I think people outside church love it. They're like, like you go to like these mums and mums and toddlers group. They're never called parents. They're mums and toddlers, or <laughs> yeah. You know. And I just like, yeah, that sounds good for me. I'm a mum, <laughs> so I picture. But I think like mums appreciate it, like because their dads are never there. Or ironically, especially as well, the kids like, love it. Yeah, because the, the kids, kids don't like, get any are time like, with the dads. Wow, there's a guy here. <laughs> and that's not to say that guys who do work don't love their kids. Oh stuff. yeah, totally. No, they're, the, they're the kind of traditional dad didn't spend much time with their kids anyway. They come with their work tired and they go do more work or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's such pressure to provide and perform as well. Like a lot of the time, yeah. it's like, oh, you're not providing enough, or you keep working harder and get promoted, and like that's a meme, isn't it? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not like, you know. I think people are a bit shocked as well. Like, oh, maybe he's a bit of a Nancy or something. I don't know. That's the PC term, but he's a bit of a. But I don't. Not that it, I don't think it matters to me. But you know, I can still talk to guys about football and sport and stuff. So they're a bit like, oh, he's like stays at home, but he knows like more masculine things or whatever. Yeah, you don't know. fit in a box. I guess much. I'm quite lucky. I don't care to yeah, a long you're point. Yeah, really good at like care. So I'm just like, this is great. I'm just like spending quality time with my kid, which I would not. Be able to spend it. We're be able. To, we've got a house now, where we mm -hmm. were on my salary. We'd be another five or six years to get a house. We still be in a flat. We don't like, and you know, a, a terrible situation and that and stuff. So, yeah, it, it, to me, I, I'm quite logical in some things as well. So I'm like, you know, it's not obviously life isn't all about money, but you're a bit stupid to take a pay cut just because you have to be provided. To me, that makes no logical yeah. sense. You know. Um, but I I've enjoyed it. It's great. I mean, I'm going a bit insane with this lockdown. I think. You know, with there been no playgroups on since April, and Rachel starts nursery in two weeks, and I'm jumping a joy to get some free time. Um, They're just slapping a mask on her and going, "On oh, you go, kiddo, yeah, get out of here!" Yeah. Like, Woo. I like, you know, when I'm during the day, I'm like, "Oh God, I'm going to kill her." 
But like at nighttime, she sleeps like, oh, she's just the greatest thing. Like, look, it was such fun today. Not mine, like I almost okay, killed her. Okay, I think all like, parents do that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I think Jesse probably gets a lot of, uh, not just, I don't know what the right word is, people, judgment from people as well. Oh, you must be a bad mom. You don't want to spend time with your kid. Or, mm. you know, so there's the, you know, and, and Jesse kind of cares more than I do. I'm just more, I'm a bit laid out and chill, but Jesse probably cares a bit more about other people's, maybe that's to do with church, pastor, kid, whatever. So she cares that people think, oh, you must be a terrible mom because mm. not, not, I mean, at the moment she's working at home anyway, so she's doing everything while I sit on the toilet. So like, <laughs> I'm just doing another poo. I'll be, I'll be two hours. Look just after, hiding. look after Rachel while you're doing your conference call, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've taken the bins out. I'll be back at, five hours <laughs> so um yeah so i don't know like it's definitely a more modern it's like it's coming i've got a couple of friends who are stay home dads well and we can chat and be like oh this is weird and yeah it's becoming more common of, uh, i kind of yeah. now know from the i now know how a woman feel when like you come home and you mutter something to them and they spend all day with a kid that's hard like you get a different insight yeah it's, uh, yeah, but i don't know yeah i think i think it was always up for it like yeah yeah like we also weren't like a lot of a lot of christian couples perhaps where we were three and a half years before we got married like we dated for three Mm -hmm. and a half years um which by the time we finally got engaged, we were like, people in church were like, oh, finally. Church put you in dating to get married. And, it, and the first it time so we exhausted back, for them to do that for three years. <laughs> first time we came, the first Sunday we were back in church after our honeymoon, it was like, so kids. We're like, whoa, yeah, like, calm dying. down. Like, Literally just had sex for the first time. Yeah. Like, calm yeah. down. <laughs> we use these things called condoms. Like, um, <laughs> But yeah, like it. That's like the one thing I told them to do. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a lot of us. Like I don't know. It just, and I don't know. It's really weird if, with my like with my upbringing within purity culture, like the first boyfriend I had, obviously having been bashed over the head with I kissed dating goodbye, like when that relationship did not work out or end in marriage, I was like, oh my goodness, like what do I do now? And I think that that breakdown of relationship, that end of that relationship kind of was really good for me (laughs) in the sense that I was like, okay, well, that obviously wasn't the answer. And that obviously wasn't true. I mean, it Mm -hmm. took me a little while to get to that point, but it was, I think it, it just kind of was like, well, things that I've been taught in regards to relationship, obviously aren't, set in stone type thing and i think sure by the time we met i don't know like it's just really interesting like there's a mesh of personalities that meant that we tend to seem to just be a little more chill even yeah. though the like the surroundings were like even like when we were hanging out and not actually in a relationship yet, everyone was like, you guys should date, you guys should date, Which you was should the get most together. Off, it actually put me off asking out for so long because I didn't want to be like, I want, I didn't want them to think I was a because they were. Sure. There's so much pressure on us. Yeah. 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 I wanted dates run anyway. Like I shouldn't care. But like, <laughs> but yeah. I was like, oh, it's just like, oh gosh, but if I ask her right now, then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Then you think, oh, he's only, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's a bit. 
I don't, yeah, I think we just, I think we just found that like after we did start hanging out, we started dating. It was like we can do things to the beat of our own drum, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, people won't necessarily agree with that. So sometimes the beat of our own drum is really quiet and private. Um, and sometimes we can be really vocal about it and that's okay. Um, you know, not, not for fear of other people. It's just that like sometimes people's drama that they try and impose on you is not worthwhile. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I think say Um, do what works for you. As long as you have a healthy relationship and you're happy within your relationship or your marriage or whatever, like, as long as it's healthy. It's, I think there's, this is a shift in, in tight and I think it is happening and it will continue to happen and we'll get there eventually. But like, it's just, I'm constantly surprised. I mean, I, the church I was a part of here in Manchester is like in so many ways. So progressive. I mean, I told you like it's, it started to like, I don't even know, 30 plus years ago. Um, and a woman planted this church, you know I mean? So it's very progressive in a lot of ways, had lots of female leaders and yet, I was utterly shocked, utterly shocked. One of the founders of the, you know, right from the beginning, um, when I met Tilly, they were like, oh, what does she do? And I'm like, oh, uh, she's a teacher. And he's like, oh, she's not going to be one of those career women, is she? And I was like, <laughs> what? I'm like, and what's, do you know what's really funny? Guess what his wife had done? Teacher. Teacher. <laughs> uh, now, I think, I, I don't know, I guess she'd quit teaching while raising the kids I don't know enough about the background but I was just like whoa I'm like I had you a lot further along in a kind of progressive values and things like that but Mm. oh interesting that thing runs deep there's (laughs) something deep there where you need me for some reason you need me to be the money earner and the breadwinner and the provider and the whatever and you need her this person you haven't even met yet to be someone that stays at home and looks after kids, which we don't have, right? You know, so there's, there's a whole world that you need to be comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, and it's nothing to do with you. That's really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Uh, and yet that's on some level, certainly for a lot of people's backgrounds growing up in church, that's their norm. That is the norm that they're, they're, they immediately walk into, right? It's like what you're saying, like you get back from honeymoon and people are like, oh, so when are you having kids? And it's like, oh, I thought I'd have value once I got married. I thought that was a thing. But it turns out that, yes, I have more value than single people, but guess what? I'm still less valuable than the person that has a kid now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, like, it's this constant tier of like, how can I gain your approval and fit into this community in the right way? And and we've got these kind of categories that everyone has to fit in. It's just so messy. Until you tell people you're not having kids oh or yeah. you're only having one kid. <laughs> it's weird. You tell that to your non-Christian friends and they're like, we get that. Like kids are hard, really hard. And then you tell your non-Christian like, how do you spread? Like, how do you spread the message? It's like, we can't convince anyone outside. To just yeah. Say, how the to church kids? Grow? We count the babies as <laughs> congregation. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird, but I don't mind it. I liked it. I think it's, yeah. I don't know. I'm quite, I've got some very, I don't know. We have Tradi- a nice I'm traditionally, I'm traditionally got some, or I would call traditionally feminine, uh, aspects of my life which work out great for raising kids or whatever so it makes sense to me again it's, it's really weird I don't know I think it's hard I'm sure there's people judging me in the church but I don't care so it's hard for me to notice it right. you know what I mean just a blind like, yeah I just don't like but if I do notice it I like to like put the play up 
go even more in. Like, yes. He and feels most comfortable in other people's awkwardness. awkwardness. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, you want to feel awkward? Well, let me make that worse <laughs> for you. Um, or I'm like, stop making them uncomfortable. He's like, no, I want to make them feel more uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like an online troll, but in, in, in real life. No, real no life. you're yeah. not cruel. You're not cruel. But like, you know, someone comes to me like, here your, your wife has a career he's like yes <laughs> like, let me, wow. i know where this is going <laughs> um yeah it's just it's just an interesting dynamic because it really goes against a lot of like the way church hierarchy even is set up you know like i guess sometimes maybe couples have more value because once they enter leadership the woman automatically is counted in as additional volunteer yeah. Well, when you are like um, hiring like a pastor or something, you get a free wife, right? I mean, it, generally speaking, they don't get a salary as well. And yeah. so a lot of work. Is, it's like, oh, I get like 40 hours a week instead of, uh, sorry, 80 hours a week instead of 40, right? I mean, we kind of, we joked about that well, before. Yeah, I can think about like, it. Like automatically people in the church look to the pastor's wife as a leader as well, um, mm-hmm. regardless of whether she's, I mean, I guess in this, in a sense, like, it's like, well, you signed up for the job. It's like, did she really mm-hmm. load? Is this yeah. what she wants to do? Because they could have been married before he decided he would like to become a pastor. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, and she's really not wanting, like, dragged, kicking not and her thing. Or, like, even just people, like, someone, like, what if she's, like, an introvert? And she's like, listen, like, I really don't want to be at the front. Or I really am not comfortable with leading groups of people or heading up volunteer stuff. Or, like you're just automatically put in the spotlight and the expectation is that you will fulfill that role. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why is that an automatic role? Everyone always likes to talk about gifting in church, but you're just throwing that gifting onto this person who their spouse might be really gifted in this area. um, And this might be what they want to do. But it's amazing how many women have the gift in of hospitality. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? I just thought whether they like it or not. Yeah, whether they like it or not, yeah. You've been That's really good at serving do. tea and helping children. You have the that gift in on that, like you know, I know for us, like Neil, like our parents were like a package deal. So like, but our mom was like super she was like hospitality. She loved having people around. She loved going to people's houses. She loved spending time talking to people, praying with people, doing an exorcism here or prayer there. Like, you know, she was doing everything and anything. If there was some way she could kind of get stuck in. Um, and like dad, like loved all his stuff. Like, but they just like, they really did love doing it together. And like, it was never really a component of like, that was, it didn't seem like it was an issue. Now I do think like they were undervalued because of that. Like they didn't ever really get paid a good salary and they were only ever paid one salary. Um, so I think there's that like underpinning expectation of like the pastor's wife should be doing all those things as well, which I don't know how much mom felt she had to live up to or not. Um, because she did, she just lived up to it regardless, I guess. Um, but I'm interested, like, is that something that you picked up on like growing up like that that dynamic was going on and then i I guess jesse i'd be really intrigued to hear how your folks operated as leaders in the church and stuff as well or yeah uh i think my i think it was what i what i wanted from what i said previously what i was looking for and what i was looking for a wife but you know what i would like to have uh as a wife that's really good in sex and no no but like you know 
to have a, somebody who's strong and I think because my mum was a bit like that, you know, my mum was um, powerful, very like, I guess my dad, I'm trying to think, because in that generation, they were still kind of, I think if they were where we were now, they would be more liberal, but they grew up, I'm trying to think, when were they church members 80s or is it later than yeah 80s? i mean like what's uh, dad's would have been all the way to like the noughties really wasn't it? yeah so like late 70s early 80s like they were like but i think in their for, 20s and for their time they were very liberal but maybe not to today's standards. so that would still maybe be the head of the house but mom kind of wrote his service um service. <laughs> yeah, she, like he got she did a lot mom got dad through bible school like he she wrote all his um you know not homework but like all his essays or whatever he said <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I remember dad was telling me a story recently where he was saying like he got pulled in by his like uh, like the leader of the course and he basically was just like listen Howard um, you know you've been in the the Bible school for a couple of years and you know you've been scraping by we we like we know you get it and we know you're good at like what you do like the teaching you're passionate about Jesus your essays have been pretty crap and like you scrape through and that's fine. It's not important. You know, we're, we're, we, they were like, you know, like it's all about Jesus. It's about being passionate. If you'd be a great pastor, you don't need to write an essay. He's like, but uh, ever since you got married, your, uh, your essays have been like incredible. Um, we're just like, you know, it's kind of a bit. You know? And I was just like, that's so funny. Cause like, they were like, Oh, someone else is writing his essay. Suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just so <laughs> obvious to them. They were like, it's mm. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so but yeah i don't know so mum was yeah i think dad was very charismatic like even now in aberdeen like everybody knows who he is like yeah he's, he's just he'll go into a room and he'll manage to like you know he'll know this person this person this person and he'll like he'll be able to get favors and stuff and david our younger brother david's a bit like that as well isn't he he's yeah, very he's- um um my mum was very much like she read all the books, she knew all the yeah. she really deep. And not that dad didn't want to, but he's just not necessarily book smart, I think. Yeah. Because um, that's something mom I hadn't thought like about. Mum was like a trained accountant and she went to university, which is like very unusual for her, you know, for her age to go into like, I mean, there was some girls who went to university, but it was very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, so, you know, she was obviously somebody who wanted to. Um, you know, yeah, she didn't train for ministry. She didn't train, you know, that wasn't her but the, the thing I guess I never really thought about much is like when dad did leave the church and started working in a charity, mom like didn't suddenly go, all right, well, I'll get involved with your charity and help. Like, you know what I mean? Like she yeah. very much was doing her own thing. And actually it wasn't massively like, let me run your church for you. Let me help run a church. Let me be in the biggest leadership office in a church somewhere. Like she very much was very like, let me find some people that are really broken and help them. Let me, you know, she did lots of great things. She would speak at a woman's aglow and do all sorts of different things. Like, so she was, she still was stuck in in a lot of different areas. She helped with a church plant in Aberdeen and things like that. But like, it does make me wonder looking back, I'm like, how much did she want to be doing so much of the things that she ended up having to do in that church? Yeah. You know, did she want to be like basically the kids pastor and the youth pastor? Cause that's what she was. Cause she was the mom and like half the youth and the kids were her kids um like but I, I, nothing massively in mum screams to me someone that wanted to be a youth or kids pastor well, as well as when we were kids most 
most families when they get invited by church members to go like in the past gets invited to go to meals and stuff the wife comes the children come we're quite, we did that sometimes but a lot of the time we as kids didn't go and mom did not go yeah i hated that and she and even when yeah. dad was working as the you know the christian charity we get invited to all these balls and fundraising things yeah, and stuff dad loves it absolutely he loves talking to anybody he loves like talking about yeah. his but mom was like i'm not going to any of those things <laughs> they hated the idea of it um your mom was so, so good at intimate conversation like she must have done a couple i'm sure she must have done a couple that dad maybe was like please could you come people think i'm single you know <laughs> but um yeah so i can't remember what the original question was actually no, I, I guess I just, I, I was intrigued how you perceived it. And it sparked in me even new thoughts of like that dynamic of like, oh, in the church, a woman just comes with the husband. If you buy, you know, if you're paying for a pastor, you get a free wife that does a whole bunch of things for the church for free. Mm-hmm. And I don't know some churches pay both the husband and the wife and some people like even employ just a wife or whatever. But generally speaking, I think that's a pretty common. One of the part that we were always in small churches as well, where like, you know, yeah, if, if I was in a mega church, which he never wanted to be, I think, um, you know, he would have a budget to hire a kids pastor and he'd have it. Yeah. Well, we had a church that was always called the church of, you know, the worst churches in the world where like yeah. it was eight old people and then he ch- he was a pastor for two years and they voted him out because he was trying to, <laughs> you know, teach biblical stuff. And they were like, yeah. I just want to, you know, he, oh, he brought the youth in. It's like, that's what you told me to do when you gave him the job. He's like, yeah, but now they put their feet up on the chairs and you know, we moved around or whatever. So I think like, it's kind of like, if mom didn't do it, dad would have done it all. Yeah. Um, so I think I wonder if part of that was, it's interesting because mom always had a, kind of like what you almost do now. She found people from the outside. She didn't want to, you know, she wasn't interested in the middle classery of church or the uh, keeping up with the Joneses. She was like, I don't care about those people. I want to care about uh, new Christians, drug addicts, poor people. You know, somebody came in stinking of alcohol. Mum was excited. She's like, "Whoa, somebody I can actually like help or whatever," um, which is interesting. I think all of us as drivers kind of have that. I don't know if that's influenced through mum or not. And not that dad didn't, but you know, dad yeah. obviously. Well, dad that. did as well because he brought those people into church, and then they right, exactly. the church hated dad for like, "Oh, exactly. you got a homeless person saved, and now they're in church. We hate that. Get yeah. out." Like, I think that was facing up maybe that's because he went to bible college he right? they had the face of like i can do the middle yeah. class have you ever noticed when dad prays he prays in like a really english accent wait I'm gonna, now you've mentioned it i'm not like did he go to bible college in glasgow yeah no but every time he prays i think it's because his first job was like in england but like oh, he's like okay. for people that are listening like he's got a scottish accent but when he prays he suddenly turns like really english it's just really <laughs> funny we get together we're gonna have to be like howard i think you really need prayer yeah ask him to say grace <laughs> next time you get together for dinner or something you know what i was thinking about the other day is like you know we never prayed during meals we never no, prayed. We never asked for grace or, yeah. We hold hands around the table. Yeah. Oh, God. The dry never held hands. Like, we didn't show this good. I don't, I don't, I think the first time I hugged my mum was when I was like 26. Like, <laughs> to be fair, they knew exactly what we were doing with our hands. So, like, they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I was thinking of day, isn't that weird? Like, because, you know, if it wasn't just his family, they're just like straight away trying to touch my hand. And like, I'm like, oh, all right, I'll play the. You know, I'm sure God really appreciates us getting our food cold and he's happy about that. But like, did you all wash your hands before the meal? <laughs> I don't know. I just remember dry stale. But then, now I see all people do it. I think, oh God, it's very religious, but maybe, yeah. it, maybe it is a nice thing as well or whatever. It's a familiar thing of like, I don't know. But 
Yeah, just we're, I was just thinking of this. Like, oh, we weren't really a normal family at all. Well, I, I, things like that, like hugging and like uh, even saying I love you to like one another. Like I remember when I was at Bethel, like yeah. I, people would say like I love you to each other all the time. And I'm like, gosh, this is weird. But I kind of like it. So after a while I got used to it and I was like, I don't think we do this as a family. And I started noticing when I Skyped back home to the UK mm-hmm. to my family. And I'm like, no one's saying I love you. And I would be like, love you guys. I'll catch you later. And they'd be like, all right, bye. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and like, not even joking. It was like probably a year of me going, all right, love you guys. That like, I think, you know, like it was like mom or someone was like, oh, I love you too. And I was like, did it yeah. finally kind of broke that. Now there was no was- question that our parents loved us, right? Dads would like drop anything to help us to go to a football game. You know, mom was always around. Dad was always around. Like as much as they love ministry, we were a priority in a huge yeah. amount of ways. Um, so there's, there was never a question of whether they loved you or not, but it was like the way that we expressed it was was different, and that was for whatever Isn't reason. Not a, a British thing as well, maybe where we're probably a bit, a bit British. Our feelings, or we don't want. We're Americans, are, or generalism, obviously. But Americans are a bit more vocal. Yeah, maybe. I yeah. remember, like, even as in probably up to pre-tea, lying in mum's bed, mum and dad's bed. Uh, I didn't have several beds, like some weird family, but like. I remember going into the the, the West Mom Wing. Mom spent a lot more time <laughs> in her bed, though, in, in the beds, yeah. But um, and just like lying and then like she would like stroke my hair and stuff, but she never said I love. Wow, I didn't know did. that was an option. Um, <laughs> I love getting my hair stroked. Yeah. I have to say though, like if there there is a level, although the words "I love you" may not have been said on the regular for you guys, there is a level of outward expression of love that isn't words mm. um and there's a level of of friendship and intimacy in your relationship with your parents that not everyone has no absolutely and, and what i mean by that is like so when we were dating i was invited <laughs> to like come over to stay for the weekend because like you guys lived out of town and then you never moved out right um no that that, you hadn't moved out at that point or whatever anyway we come in so we were both working in restaurant at this point which means that we were finishing at like 10 o'clock at night or whatever um quite late by the time the bus arrived back at the house yeah it was late your mom was still up and neil's like oh come on let's go say hi to my mom now she's in bed in her apartment (laughs) I've maybe met her a couple of times. Like she's lovely, but we're not like we're not besties at this point. You're not like bed pajamas friends yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm trying to think of like how many of my friends have I like my friends I grew up with who like how many of their parents have I ever seen in their bed? Zero. Like <laughs> like if we had a sleepover and I like saw their mom or dad in the morning in the kitchen, they might their pajamas, but to take that to the bed itself, that never happened. Anyway, like we ended up sitting on the bed with your mom and having a full-blown conversation as your dad was probably like, I really want to get to sleep now. He had but his, like, uh, Darth Vader no, he didn't have <laughs> <laughs> sleep apnea mask sleep or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like I, I was like, my first reaction was what is this? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Because it would never um, occur to me to be like, hey, let's go to my parents' room and sit on their bed and have a chat. Mm. Um, so like, although your parents maybe didn't outwardly say, I love you on the regular, I think there's expressions of love that came from your parents that were really beautiful yeah. and that 
one that was like, wow, this is really nice that you feel a level of intimacy with your parents that you're like, it's 11 o'clock at night. She's still up waiting for you to come home, although you're a fully grown adult. Oh, I was really annoying when we went to go, like, when you became a teenager, you wanted to go out, out. And she would be like, well, I'll be up. And you get in at like two in the morning. And she'd be like, is that you, Neil? I'm like, yes, I'm home now. You can go to sleep. I'm going to go throw up. As yeah. a teenager, that probably would have been really annoying, but like so annoying. as an adult, it's like, oh, this is really sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, we are like really, I mean, the more I uh, am around different people and their family units, the more I'm like in awe of like how close our family is actually. It's just really, it's really awesome. Really incredible. Like very, very fortunate. Even just thinking like right back to the very beginning of this conversation, like, the way we were brought up, despite being inside evangelical Christianity as pastors' kids, we were given so much freedom, so much grace, so much uh, room to explore our own kind of beliefs and ideas as well. Freedom. I remember mom teaching me, like, don't just believe something because me or your dad say it. Like, you've got to think about it and question it and, and realize, like, we're going to make mistakes sometimes. And I'm like, not many, like, as parents, never my Christian parents bring their kids up that way. It's, it's a really um, amazing uh thing for sure big time yeah so what was like in your church growing up like was that a component within the the leaders and stuff as well because it feels like that's a very much built into american culture is kind of like a woman is just expected to be involved um in her husband's work if, if it's a, like christian ministry leadership i mean if it's like an accountant you're expected to just it's definitely unspoken like it's not like I mean, I don't know. I wasn't particularly there when my dad signed the contract to become associate pastor. And like, you know, it wasn't I, in the contract. I don't know if there was a clause that says your wife shall be involved. Um, but like my mom did um school for the kindergartners. She ran like a summer daycare at one point. Like, um, I obviously, I guess for working parents, I think it was like one summer. I don't know what happened after that. Um, she did translation, she did a women's Bible study. Um she did oh she did this like apple pie baking thing and they sold it all these like thousands of pies every year and the money went towards missions um and then anytime there was like a potluck or anything it was like okay we're here to move tables and set things up and she was doing women's retreats and she was just so like she was very heavily involved in pretty much every ministry Mm. um especially one sanctions that women could lead in yeah. yeah um so like yeah like it wasn't like she would she she didn't preach on a sunday morning um she didn't preach on well she didn't preach in any any capacity in that manner she was definitely more of like a smaller but then my mom isn't the i want to be on the platform speaking kind of sure. person either. so uh, it's down to what she was more comfortable with and she she did what she was comfortable with um and she did it well and she's still whatever church is or she's in a different church now because she's moved um and she's very involved um and she's involved in the house of prayer in brussels and she's involved in sort all sorts of stuff like that is her thing she likes to be involved um but i do think there's an aspect of expectation that you will be in involved now the church i was in also have, i have to say um the leadership a lot of time were missionaries which means that when a couple goes into missions it's both of you going into missions. Yeah. So it could be different on that aspect as well. Um, and it could be that my mom went into so much volunteering 
A, because she was a stay-at-home mom and we all eventually were off at school because by the time we moved back to Belgium, I was going into primary one or first grade elementary and my brother and sister were in, in like kindergarten. So she had time. Yeah. Um, and so that gave her space to volunteer in all of these, all of these different ministries um, because all of the, and it could be also that all of the friends that she was making with all the other wives in leadership, they were all volunteering in these same things as well. Yeah. The friendships that she formed also led to her being involved in all of these different things as well. Um, and the fact that she still is involved in a lot of these things today probably intimates an enjoyment of these yeah. things because like my parents aren't together anymore. Um, and yet, and so like, she's not a pastor's wife and yet she still is very much involved in all sorts of aspects of yeah. ministry. They've changed somewhat. Um, she has volunteered recently to, um, to do like children's church before the pandemic happened. She was doing like children's church in the church that she's attending, but she's also moved into other things. Like she's now doing um, some work with women who are in sex work in the city or, and some of these women are also trafficked. Um, so she does a lot of work with them too. Um, and she has with these women like are really close to her heart. So I think although she's not baking 2000 pies to sell anymore. She, um, the aspects of her ministry have changed. I, I think, yes, there was an expectation that she would be involved, but I wouldn't say that she particularly. She loved it on some level. Yeah. 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 I mean, my mom wasn't like your mom <coughs> trained accountant. My, my mom's, um, I think her certification was in childcare. Okay. So that kind of lended. Perfect. Christian yeah. <laughs> like she's professionally trained to stay at home. <laughs> um, but it lended itself well. I mean, yeah, when my dad was in, um, in the States um, in Bible college, she did work in kindergartens um, and in daycares and stuff. And yeah. she did, um, she did like, a, I don't know if you'd call it a, a babysitting service, but I remember at one point we're on campus and she would look after a bunch of kids, I guess like child minding. Um, and she would look after all these kids throughout the day, which was great for us because we were like, yeah. friends over. Free friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in our little flat and we'd go to the playground and she'd look after a bunch of kids. And yeah, she like, so like, um, I wouldn't, she may have been career minded, but like, I think it translated into other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, but I definitely think that there is a lot of churches out there who think, right, we're hiring a pastor, youth pastor, kids pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, whatever, and the wife is part of the package. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, we, we joked about this by text and stuff, like, you know, look through, yeah. like, you know, church staffing websites and, you know, I don't know, the, the job websites and things like that, where they post the, the job, like, requirements or what they're looking for. And, like, Oh, it's, it's pretty cringe. Like it is really cringe. Uh, and some of the things they'll, they'll even brazenly say, they'll, they'll be like, we require you to work 50 hours a week, not including services. And you're like, dude, you're, you're telling someone that you're going to be working realistically, not far from like 55 hours a week, uh, 60, 65 hours a week, probably a good 15 yeah, hours of different like, things. Like, yeah. And it's like, that's a lot. Like, 
you know, in the UK, if you work more than 50 hours, you have to like sign a specific contract to say that you're waiving your like human rights kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy if you work more than 50 hours a week. We're like looking at like 35 as a kind of a new norm. Um, and that's pre, uh, that was pre-pandemic. I think people were even questioning that. Um, and then there's the church, you know, going, all right, guys, I'm thinking like 65, 70 hours a week should be about right. How are you feeling about that? And everyone's like, yeah, it seems normal. Like it's a weird kind of like, and that's just for one person. But also what all encompasses in some of these roles is like not one person can juggle all of these things. Yeah. Like some of the some of the things are just like red flags immediately to me is things like um having in your job description a whole host of things and amidst 20 different things that are listed, something that says like and you'll do counseling. But further down in the job requirements <laughs> nothing as far as an accreditation to do counseling right like, wait what what qualifies you like what training have you done yeah that qualifies you to speak into someone's life when they're going through mental illness or trauma or anything of that sort yeah. like it's just um yeah which is a whole world in itself, like the whole pastors thinking they are counselors. Like, it, and it's even more scary when you start boiling that down to like, even in youth pastors, these youth pastors are basically, generally speaking, 20 something years old. They've just done like a quick seminary or something. Maybe some of them are still doing seminary and they're just like, kind of, oh yeah, you could be a youth pastor as you train to be like an associate one day or something. And like, they're 22 years old, they have no qualifications. They maybe took like a module in counseling at, at, at you know, seminary. And then it's like, oh yeah, so you're going to be able to counsel like 16 year olds that just lost their mom or are having like sexual identity crisis or something like that. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I got this. And then it looks like, you know, like, you know, people sitting down in the group going, right. So how many times do people masturbate? Or like that's counseling (laughs) to these people, you know, it's like, like, Jesus, no wonder people are getting screwed up here, you know? Um, and, And it is, it's scary. You look through those qualifications and like, they're terrifying. Yeah. Um, well, even, a lot of it comes under pastoral care. So yeah. it's like, and you'll do pastoral care. But like, I mean, just looking at my dad, like his pastoral care was, I'm going to go and meet people individually to speak with them. I'm going to do hospital visits. I'm going to do like old folks home visits. I'm going to like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of time. And like, yeah. depending on the size of your church, you've got a church of 500. We grew up in a church of 500 people. Wow. Like, that, that's a lot that's a lot of people and like okay not mm. everyone wants you to come and visit them but there's yeah. probably a good number of people that have got your phone number and are going to be calling you constantly saying well can you come over or can you come speak to my kid or my wife and, and people I, wonder why pastors just collapse and die or burn, out. burn yeah. out yeah what was the one i saw in the cv movement last year it was like i think we read like four or five you pastor ones and each one was like must be able to lead worship or play an <laughs> instrument or something. I'm like, so you wanting him to be the worship pastor? No, it was the one that was like, was must like, write your own music oh, yeah. as well as play. It was <laughs> like, like you want this person to organize events. You want to preach, teach, counsel, and find time to write their own music. But then also in the qualification was like, must read in daily and uh, their Bible daily and have devotion time. I'm like, when are they going to find time for all of this? Unless yeah. having to and like- then, Including the 50 hour a week plus sermons or whatever. And then it was underneath, every single one was like, and must do more if the- If the pastor asks. Yeah. Right. 
what more could that's you like want? That's like a get out of jail clause. Of and like, it's just so, so vague. It's like, yeah. must do whatever the pastor asks. It's like, God, you know that the pastor's calling him up at like four in the morning going, hey, we forgot to sing for the event today. Could you get up and like, could you bring uh, 4,000 donuts for this huge event? Or, you know, I don't know, like, it's like, ah, uh, yeah. Well, and then, like, I don't know, like, I, like, um, we had an interim phase in, in church I was growing up with where we didn't have like a formal youth leader. Um, the guy that filled in again was like a really young guy, really great. Um, but like, yeah, he was really young. And I, I, um, so we kind of pitched in and helped out. And so we like just organizing like a basic Wednesday evening youth meeting, like that's a lot of work. <laughs> like you've got to, you know, come up with, cause there's always some sort of icebreaker activity. Yeah. There's also, there's, you know, then there's the main sermon, then there's the worship, then the, like, that's a lot of work in itself just for one meeting. And then you've got retreats and summer camp. And if you're into like, if your church is into like doing Christmas shows and Easter shows and all sorts of stuff, like it's, it's a lot of coordination and a lot of work. And a lot of time, you know, it's just this one person that's taken on the job. What are you asking of this person, especially mm-hmm. if they have a family? Yeah. Because if you're asking them to do a 60 hour week and they've got a family, how much time are they spending with their family? Yeah. And then you, we get surprised that all these leaders end up like having dysfunctional family or having an affair mm-hmm. on the side because they've disconnected from their wife or, you know, like there's so much stuff going on, but like, we burn these people to the ground and we set up this kind of thing of like, it goes God, church, family, or, you know, like about God, family, mm-hmm. church. I mean, we set up these kind of systems, but even when you, even when you put church below family, well, God is at the top. And then you can kind of like, how do we split God and church apart? And then so you're like, you've got someone calling you at three in the morning and they're like mom's dying in hospital. It's like, I can't not put that above, you know, but there's always one more thing. And it's, mm. it's a wild world. like growing up in that environment. I know like for our dad, he was just nonstop. He just didn't like, he was, he was great at prioritizing and, and occasionally going, no, I, I'm going to go and, you know, go to my kid's football game. I'm going to like, you know, I want to be home for dinner most nights or whatever, but he was nonstop meetings, meeting up with people going, you know, sitting with like teenagers that were, you know, uh, got pregnant and were having an abortion or sitting with like, you know, um, people that were dying in hospitals or, you know, whatever it was, like he was constantly meeting with people and doing all these things. He was running a church and, and being in the UK in smaller churches, you do it all right. So you talk about how the youth pastor jobs are like a full-time job. Now, of course, it's when you've got a big youth group and a small youth group, it's probably not a full-time job, but it's probably not the job you need to be doing when you're doing all the pastoral visit, you're writing a sermon, you're, you know, you're running the youth group, you're running the children's group, you're running like everything. It, you can start to realize, oh yeah, I can see why wives were like, I could chip in if it means you come home a bit earlier every day or um, it's, it's a really complex and messy yeah. world for sure. It's interesting. Like, and also like the, the dynamics, like, do they, do these employees feel like they have permission to say, I, I, I need time out. Like, so I worked for the church office, um, doing like put the directory together and a couple of, you know, silly things, um, for about a month, one center. And one of, um, a, a well-loved member of the church passed away. Um, and it was going to be a very well-attended funeral. And I very much remember, that the guy at the time that was kind of in the office, so like, don't, um, it was after my dad wasn't pastoring anymore. And um, 
and so the guy was kind of like the admin slash finance. So he like kind of wore a lot of different hats. Um, and I remember that day he, his wife was in surgery and he was at the church trimming hedges, setting up chairs, doing paperwork, all sorts of stuff wow. um, in preparation for this funeral amongst other like general church admin. And I remember being like, why are you here? Like, your wife is in the middle of town. Like, having surgery should you not be waiting for her to come out um and i remember going in to ask the senior pastor at the time to sign a document um and you know going into his office and he was sitting reading a newspaper and i was like you do like (laughs) and i'm a teenager at the time i'm like oh it's not my place to anything but i remember thinking like this guy's wife is in surgery and he's running around trimming hedges, which is not his job um, in preparation for this funeral. And you're eating a sandwich and reading a newspaper. Like I I, I get that, like we're employing people to do certain job roles, but like we're also the church. We're supposed to be compassionate and, you know, the hands and feet of Christ and whatever you, you know, Mm -hmm. Christianese terms you want to use that are very often used and here we are. Where's the compassion in this situation? It's just my. It's a bleeding of worlds as well, though, because like, where if you're employed by church, right? I mean, you don't. If you're not employed by church, a lot of Christians are going to church. You know, like almost every day of the week in the evenings. They're going to a prayer meeting. They're going to the Bible study. They're going to the youth service where they're helping lead. They're going to church two weeks, two days of the week. They're you know like they just go 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 go. That's someone that's not employed. And so then you go like, okay, now you're employed. Well, what hours are what? Because you would probably be doing this anyway, right? You'd be doing that at a church if you were really, if you were a good Christian, you'd be doing all those things anyway. So we're probably not, are we paying you for that? Or are we paying you for something separate? And we just expect that because you, you can't really not do any of those things. Like, you know what I mean? Like dad would never have been able to go, I'm not going to prayer meeting this week. You're the pastor. You're running the prayer meeting. You've got to go to the prayer meeting. Um, and so it's like this weird thing of like, how do you draw lines? How do you say no? How do you say, like, it's such a messy, messy world. Like, I think that's something I really respect about mom where she was just like, nope, not going to do that. And then dad was always kind of like, oh, okay. Now I don't know if dad was or was it. Maybe he was a bit upset about that. Maybe they had to deal with that. I don't know the ins and outs of what, how they navigated that. But I always did respect that. Um, and I was very envious that we didn't get to do that at 16. Uh, until we got to 16, we were like, if you're a kid, you go to church, that's the rules. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people that are employed by the church, there, there is no like, oh, this is my, my like, I'm going to church because I love Jesus. And this is my, I'm going to church because I work. It's all kind of one thing. So even though we say 50 hours a week, well, what, you're not going to cut the hedges when we've got a big event and chip in and help like, come on steve what are you doing like a good christian would help you know like that's that's what we would do and that's what i pay you for and you're like well i was at church like four times and well you should be at church four times a week anyway so like this is what you know it's such a messy like complex and i don't know maybe that pastor had had a crazy day and was just having his lunch at four in the afternoon and quickly grabbing a sandwich and going thank fuck i can read a newspaper for four minutes and you just watch in that who knows right i you know we don't know anyone's story so it's not about like saying there's good guys and bad guys in the system i think it's the system that is the bad guy right it's not the people that are necessarily in it 
I think it can make bad guys. <laughs> I think it can kind of break people uh, that are, are stuck in the system. But it is like, it's a broken yeah. system when you kind of bleed those two worlds. I think at the end of the day, like, <coughs> what is your church though? Like, it's all fine and well to have all these programs and the fancy lights and the fancy media and like, but like if you're, if you're burning out employees over the fancy media and the lights and like, is it worthwhile? Is that like, is having that extra retreat, extra camp, extra whatever more worthwhile than the family unit of this person that is tasked with doing all these extra roles? Yeah. It's really hard. I think, um, I think, you know, like my, my parents definitely raised us as they felt was the best, you know, as they felt they were doing the right thing. But, um, and I, you know, like said this to my dad before we never saw him. Mm. Like my relationship with my dad was never as close growing up because we never saw it. Like he was always at a, you know, if we weren't in church, the whole family for whatever was going on at the church, he was an outside of office hours that were during the week. It was board meetings. It was small groups. It was hospital visits. It was all sorts of stuff. And then at the same time, he was trying to work on, um, I think it was his master's. Um, but like he was then, and then the next sermon that needed to be prepped and cause he always preached on the evening service, which was in French. So like, there was always another thing. So even when he was home, it was usually busy or he just needed time to unwind because that's crazy. That's a lot of work. And like, I work full time. I know that when I come home, I just want to sit and zone out for a while. So, you know, the idea of like coming into whatever drama is happening with three kids, Mm. you know, it's a bit stressful. So like, I get it. But I think sometimes the demands that we have for the sake of the ministry has bigger repercussions on people and their families and their marriages and their lives in general, their mental health, their physical health. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that come alongside that. And yeah, it, it, you want to advance the kingdom of God or whatever, but at the expense of. Yeah. Well, it's like, did you see, um, I posted on Instagram today, there was this powerful picture of um i think it's middle church the church over in america it's quite a progressive church and there's just flames all around their like church sign oh, it's oh like you know God. middle church come on in or whatever like whatever i can't remember what it said and their their caption was it was about like there's all kinds of fires and there's um, lots of riots happening and different things like that riots or protests and all whatever our languages are around it. and they basically said our church was really really fortunate not to be caught in the fire that happened really near our building and they were like but we need to remember what's important and we would happily have our church burned to the ground if it meant one more black life didn't have to be lost Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think it's that concept of like what are we doing here like what does it take for us to change our perspectives go who gives a fuck about a building someone died that's important or why the hell are we killing uh, a family so we can have another prayer meeting. What's the point in a prayer meeting if families are falling apart? What's the point in a church service if people are burning out and it ends in, what's the point in this stuff if that's the kind of the result? And I think like 
that's the stuff that really challenges me for sure. Um, anyway, we've been going on for ages, so we should probably wrap up. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, fine. yeah, it's getting late. So you guys, you're fine. Like it's nice and early, you know. <laughs> I do this till like three in the morning most days. So, but yeah. I don't have a kid, so you guys will be up by three. Yeah, that's true. You're in. Yeah. Um, but this is really good. I, I'm assuming you guys do not want people following you on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. Um, we, we've deleted our Facebook recently. You just, uh, yeah, nice. Our Instagrams are private. So it's been great. I literally deleted my Facebook like a month ago. And it's been love fantastic. It. I love not being on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best thing ever. We, we love being able to, like, it, like from following a lot of, a lot of um, newer people recently. So a lot of the people that you've actually been um, interviewing, which has been really fantastic. Um, and engaging with some of them has just been really great for us as well through this deconstruction mm -hmm. process. So cheers to all of those guys as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we're not in a space where we are wanting a platform. Yeah. <laughs> of that Good sort. call. I don't recommend it at all. <laughs> no. I mean, we love Same, the comment section. Um, we bring the popcorn every yeah. time when we go, oh, Phil posted something. Let's cuddle yeah. up and watch <laughs> so what funny. happens. The comments on Facebook or on Instagram are so much better, though. It's the Instagram. Oh. Uh, Facebook comments are just the worst. And actually, no, YouTube comments are the worst. Facebook comments are like second worst. But yeah, it's... <laughs> I'm so, I just love Instagram so much. It's just such a nicer place and nicer atmosphere. I don't know if I'm just stuck in a big bubble somewhere on Instagram, but it yeah. just feels much nicer. Um, cool. But yeah, no, thank you so much, guys. If people didn't realize, uh, Neil's my brother and that's his wife, Jesse. So I'll probably do an intro that actually explains <laughs> that. But um, yeah, I don't know where we'll, well, I'll figure out a good point to start along our conversation. It's really awkward sharing masturbation <laughs> stories about your dad walking if you're not related <laughs> yeah just walking in my dad just walked in we just went to the same church and my dad just walked in on people uh, no yeah <laughs> that's so funny but no it's good fun really good fun appreciate it love you guys love you what did you um what, yeah thank you i finally someone said it back i'll stroke your hair next time you come oh thanks man i can't do you that for you anymore. Have hair left so that's true. Yeah. No, it's good to see you guys a lot. Um, Take care. Yeah. We'll catch up again properly again. Go on. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Neil and Jesse Drysdale. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Again, I'm sorry for the audio quality. Um, that shouldn't happen again. We'll we'll make sure that it's, uh, we're a bit more on it next time I chat to Neil or Jesse. Uh, believe it or not, they actually went and sought out that microphone and got it um, just for that uh, podcast. So. Um, that was the good version of the audio. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm really looking forward to next week. We've got some great guests. I'm going to um, have the amazing, wonderful Rob Bell, who I am really excited to chat to. I'm chatting with him tomorrow. Um, that'll be out on Monday. And then we have a return guest, Jordan Etheridge, who was one of the most uh, asked for repeat guests. I've got another ep episode with him coming out on Thursday. And so I'll see you next week for those uh, great episodes. If you um, are deconstructing your faith, if you're going through some process of unraveling and evolving your faith, um, I do recommend you check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a free resource to help you connect with other people that are going through similar process in your local area. It's a great uh, resource for people that often feel very lonely as they go through deconstruction. Um, thegracecourse.com, another free resource with lots of teachings for those that are 
um, trying to reconcile their Christian faith with their deconstruction. Um, And if you love what I'm doing and want to partner with what I'm doing, that would be a huge thing because everything I do is free um, and yet it is a full-time gig what I do. Um, You can partner with me for as little as five bucks a month at phildrysdale.com slash partner or over on Patreon, just search my name. Um, And that gives you access to a private discussion group. Um, It gives you access to a monthly Zoom call um, and a few other bits and pieces. And um, it obviously means the world to me if people are able to support me. Um, It helps me do this free, full time um, and and never require anything from anyone, which I think is a huge deal because a lot of us have been plenty burned by institutions that are constantly asking for money and uh, i don't want you to feel that that's me and so that's all for now anyway i'll see you next week for rob bell and jordan etheridge have a good one guys love you